0: Election season has come and gone and the polls are closed, but not here on Kicking Out at 2 this week as we're going to uh, give you guys our official Kicking Out at 2 approval rating on some of the best and worst authority figures in professional wrestling history from presidents to general managers to commissioners to CEOs to COOs to CFOs. We're going to cover all this week here on Kicking Out at 2
1: and joining me, of course, my offensive coordinator, my younger brother, Justin. Welcome back. Good to be back. It's been a little while, but I'm glad I could be here. It's uh, an interesting topic, given the time of year, but it should be fun to take a trip down memory lane once again. Yeah, definitely. I mean... uh... You know, over the years, the authority figure
0: uh, character in professional wrestling has been done in various ways, whether you had an evil boss or you had a fair and impartial authority figure running your wrestling promotion or it just you had, you know, an overall goody two-shoe, good guy boss, so to speak. Uh, it's been done in many different ways, and we thought, you know, let's examine a little bit some of these guys and their characters' performances as general managers presidents and whatever the case may be and we'll give you a uh, an approval rating on a scale of one to ten how well this individual's character did as the on-screen authority figure for whether it be the world wrestling federation or wwe wcw tna ecw uh we have a list we might not get to all of them but we're going to definitely hit the big ones and the heavy hitters so why don't we get started and uh i'll let you go first justin why don't you uh take a look at take a gander at that list
1: and uh, uh let me see here i think only out of respect it's appropriate that we start with probably the original wrestling authority figure in most people's eyes we'll go with uh president jack tunney all right president jack that's probably tunney. the best place to start that's an interesting one because that was my first
0: introduction to a authority figure in professional wrestling growing up. I know Jack Tunney's a little bit past your time as a fan, but for me, um he was the first boss uh, that I knew of in the World Wrestling Federation. I remember when uh in the 90s when the steroid trial took place, dad would say, you know, Vince McMahon's the boss, he owns the World Wrestling Federation. I'd be like, "No, he's not. Jack Tunney's the boss." <laughs> and uh those were some interesting arguments and conversations, you know, I would have with dad. But uh Jack Tunney was to me I would say probably the quintessential authority figure in terms of like what you see with authority figures in professional sports. He's there for the important moments, uh, he calls it right down the middle. Um, he makes unpopular decisions even though um, it goes against the the, the thoughts and, and opinions of fans and their particular wrestlers that they like. I mean, Jack Tunney, was, Jack Tunney made a lot of unpopular decisions in his time in the World Wrestling Federation from stripping Hulk Hogan of the WWF Championship after this Tuesday in Texas when he defeated The Undertaker, even though Ric Flair got involved in the match, um, Holding it up for the uh, the 1992 Royal Rumble event, Jack Tunney was also a part of uh, the uh, the infamous uh, uh, probably before the Montreal screw job, but the, uh, the 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 match with Hogan and Andre at the main uh, event. Yeah, the when, crooked referee. The, yeah. yeah, the Hebners. Yeah, the twin referees. He was a part of that. He the weird thing was is that like looking back as a kid, I didn't recognize or realize this, but you know, being 35 now. Um, Jack Tunney, you know, awarded both Andre and DiBiase a spot in the championship tournament at WrestleMania 4 when they were the ones that perpetrated the screw job yeah. over Hogan. So I mean, yeah. like, you know, Tunney as as much as I claimed in the beginning of my statement that Jack Tunney was fair and impartial, he did some things that just, you know, looking back on it now made you made you second guess his uh his his
1: power. Uh yeah, I would say that kind of, you know, history has a nice way of putting some, you know, Rose-colored lenses when they look down on, uh, or look up to Jack Tunney. Um, I think, obviously, his most famous ruling, his most powerful moment of authority was definitely probably that, that, uh, that WrestleMania Four declaration of sorts to, uh, have the title held up in obeyance, as they would now call it. I hate Um, that word. Where, (laughs) obviously, that, that brought about the famous WrestleMania Four you know, tournament for the WWF Championship. I think, um even though i don't know i feel like jack Tunney is is, is is like you said he was he wasn't like all in coming you know obviously television was different the presentation of wwf was different there wasn't a weekly show live where there was a lot of um you know decisions char- that needed yeah there sure. was a lot of, it was a lot of mic work wasn't a lot of character play like you know there was certainly you know we'll discuss further but you know in later years there was a lot of um all right, welcome to the show tonight. Here's what we have lined up for you. I'm gonna do this, and I'm gonna decide that. And yeah. if you cross me here, or if you think of doing this, you know there was a lot of um like emceeing by by authority figures that took that has taken place since then. He, in fairness, he 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 had a, I think a very balanced role uh, of just kind of taking that step back, like you said, being important, but at the same time, you know, he wasn't perfect by any means. Um, you know, if I'm going to put an approval rating on Jack Tunney on a scale of one to ten, I'll probably give him an eight. Yeah, I, I think an eight. An eight's a fair one. I was um, thinking seven or eight too myself. Yeah, eight's probably fair. I mean, like I said, you know, the 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 internet marks of the world probably look at Jack Tunney as you know he could probably be president of the United States if, as far as they're <laughs> concerned. But um, you know, much like the president, any president of the United States, you know, they're not perfect, and Jack Tunney was was definitely far from it. But. uh Definitely dignified would probably be the words to describe Jack Tunney. You knew, like at least as a kid, you knew when
0: Jack Tunney came out, like something serious was happening. Yeah, like, exactly. for instance, like and you'll you remember this the um, the ending of the 1994 Royal Rumble match when Bret Hart and Lex yep. Luger were both eliminated simultaneously. They had multiple referees and nobody could figure it out. And even with all the cameras at ringside, you know they they had that instant replay, you know, played up to like. So many different angles, but you really, in each of those angles, you really couldn't tell who was the, uh, you know, who was the clear-cut victor. And Tunney came out, and he couldn't even figure
1: it out, and he's he the made, boss. He made the difficult decision. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I think that's kind of, you know, if there's, if there's something that I think that Jack Tunney did well was, like you said, he set the tone for when the authority figure showed up, you knew something was about to happen. Yeah, you know what I mean, and, and and that's I think, in many ways, he set the standard for what we expect of authority figures in in a variety of ways. But I think that would be the main one. President Jack Tunney was going to say something or be there; it mattered. Yeah. And, so. if he, and if he wasn't there,
0: it was usually his, his message was usually delivered in his office, uh, which was probably in Titan Tower in Stamford, yeah. Connecticut. But you know, you saw a lot of Jack Tunney from his office, uh, you know, WWF headquarters, whatever the case may be, where a lot of the important decisions for the WWF storylines took place at that time. Absolutely. Uh, Another individual, you know, let's we're going to go across the other side of the spectrum here, and we're going to talk about someone who um, does not represent the word dignified. Someone who is the complete opposite of that, and I'm referring to Vince Russo, uh, an individual, <laughs> an individual who um, became an on-screen authority figure because of his reputation as a creative writer for the World Wrestling Federation. Uh, his role as the boss. Um, at one point in WCW was, uh, was bestowed upon him when, uh, he felt it was uh it was time for him to move on from the World Wrestling Federation and he felt he did all he could do as a creative writer and he took Ed Ferrara with him and they took that reputation at that time in 1999 that you know was certainly played up on the internet amongst a lot of the the dirt sheets of being the savior of the World Wrestling Federation and they turned it into a storyline where him and him and Ferrara were the powers that be where they kind of produced um a lot of their segments and Russo did most of the talking, but uh for for those of you that are big Seinfeld fans out there, uh George Costanza's character worked for the New York Yankees and his boss was George Steinbrenner. Yeah. And he would talk to Steinbrenner in the office and all you saw was Steinbrenner's hand, the way the camera that pointer yeah, there. there was always, yeah, there was always different
1: um ways that they presented, at least on the show Seinfeld, that kind of yeah, WCW kinda of mimicked with whether you just saw the the back of Steinbrenner's head, yeah. And, you know, in the in the background was was, was Costanza or like you said, a shadow or, you know, a silhouette of the hand or yeah. whatever. Just whatever it was, he, they were certainly um very tongue in cheek with their approach of, you know, playing on the on the anticipation of what, you know, the depiction of George Steiner would be, at least aesthetically. Yeah. Um and I think that was kind of I could definitely see that being an inspiration for the powers that be for sure, regardless of the very distinct voice that, um, that Vince Russo had to, to, to orate all of what he was you know, looking to do pre on camera at least so. yeah you
0: heard his voice and you saw his hand a lot pointing fingers and and delegating authority at one point um didn't wasn't referred to as vince russo by name on camera in the beginning it was the powers that be the powers that be you heard a lot of that you know the powers that be are forcing goldberg to you know face so and so or the powers that be have given jeff Jarrett another shot at the wcw title um And then, you know, that kind of ran its course a little bit um, when Russo was ousted out of power in WCW after the radicals, Benoit, Malenko, Saturn, and Guerrero, walked out of the company, and uh, Russo was put on the sidelines after being with WCW for just a few months, and then... The creative minds in WCW at that time, or lack thereof, they weren't really getting the job done. So WCW called Russo back and said, "You know, we need your help." And this time, Russo, you know, had a little more control of of the product, but he was uh, he was co-captained with Eric Bischoff. And they were not only co-captained as the, the head of creative uh, for WCW at that time, but they were also um, the two bosses on television. And they were representing the the new blood of WCW. And that's when you saw Vince Russo in the flesh on television with his signature uh, baseball bat and his one of his uh, New York uh, sports teams jerseys. He yeah. was where whether it was a Mets or a Giants jersey or or Yankees or whatever the case may be. New you know Vince Russo represented New York, but um as far as uh you know what his character accomplished in w c w at that time um, it certainly caused a lot of chaos um not only behind the scenes in real life but on camera as well. I mean, you know, trying to go back and watch. That stuff now, um, I wouldn't say it's uh, it's mind numbing, but it can be very, very overwhelming creatively, um, and not in a good way when you watch some of his stuff now.
1: Um, yeah, no, I would definitely agree. I think that there's a there's an element of, of Russo's approach, at least as a character on camera, where you know, he was trying to have that that uh, effect that you know the good authority figures have, like a Jack Tunney, where you know a, a, an announcement is made, a declare. You know, a declarement or what it, or what have you. Everything in the Vince Russo era was was meant to have impact, and no ton, no pun intended. Um, but it was it was the motivation behind everything that was said and done was to was was almost meant to you know on a week to week basis. This is going to be the thing that gets us going. This is going to light the fire. This is going to get WCW in the right direction. You know, this is going to change the face of world championship wrestling. You kind of hear that kind of phrase, yeah. even tossed around today, yep. with you know, with different wrestling promotions. So I think you know there was a lot of shock and awe with what Vince Russo tried to do in WCW. That you could, as history has told us, was uh, was certainly filtered, especially behind the scenes, in, you know when he was in the WWF. I just think that um, he was very gratuitous in his. We know this isn't real. So let's let everyone know that real life happens, you know, inside this ring or on the camera. And and again, a little too much of that lets you go, you know what? If that's the case, I'm just going to go somewhere else to get my my entertainment. Yeah. he, He, you know, I'll give the guy credit, like. He gets he gets knocked a lot um,
0: behind the scenes for uh, you know his ideas and them not being as filtered as they were when he was in the World Wrestling Federation. But you know he he tried to make a spot for everybody on the card, tried to give something to someone you know creatively for them to do on the show every week. And uh, even though um, some of his ideas execution wise were were very poor. Um, I thought some of them were good in theory that he there was good intentions behind it, you know, the new blood millionaires club storyline like we talked about on our Guilty Pleasures episode. You know, it was it was done to try and highlight the newer guys and and Rousseau had this thing about trying to push the younger guys and move, you know, the the old guard out of the way like the Hogans and the Flares and stuff like that, but it was it was done in a way where it felt very rushed like it was just i don't know like there was no there was no real anticipation or build up it was like you said like this is gonna be what's gonna turn things around this week like his character is an authority figure you've he tried to make you feel like that this was this is what's going to end the Millionaires Club. This is what's going to put the Millionaires Club out. This is what's going to end Hulk Hogan and Ric Flair and all those guys that that built and established WCW as a powerhouse. And there was re- I don't know. I just felt like it was it was very all over the place. And he yeah, brought, he, he brought that environment to TNA. I don't know if you remember he, that. Yeah, and
1: again, his he was very lackluster in the his his reputation at least as he wanted to have it promoted followed him Mm -hmm. and you know at least the good parts that he would like you to believe yeah in that you know he he wasn't shy or at least you know tongue in cheek the you know the the presentation beat in wcw or tna wasn't shy in letting you know who vince russo was and his contributions positive to the business yeah so you know i don't know he I, i kind of compare him to you know any guy you would have in the office place at work that you know you know, steps into the floor of the office and goes, I have the great idea that's going to make this company millions and millions of dollars. <laughs> you know, it's going to do this and it's going to do that. And, you know, conference meeting, let's go. And you put them in the, you put them in the boardroom and you go, okay, how are you going to do this? And other than the, the theatrics of what they, you know, pontificated and to a room full of people, there, was, there wasn't a lot of, uh, you know, you know, substance to, the, to all that sizzle. Yeah. Um, and I think that's, you know, after a while of crying wolf, you just go, you know what, dude, I'm, I'm just sick of it. And again, that's obviously talking about things that go on behind the curtain too. But a lot of that was expressed in a way that he really wanted you to believe everything was real. But oh, was yeah. it real? Or yeah. was it fake? Or yeah. what, you know what I mean? And it was like, can I just watch wrestling for once instead yeah. of getting a, a backstage, uh, you know, segment where you're giving the finish to wrestlers? Yeah. Like, we get it. We know it's a show, but we don't have to be reminded it's a show.
0: Yeah, that would that kind of like, especially after they did the the Hogan thing at Bash at the Beach. They tried to capitalize on that the following month with Goldberg right. and Russo. You know, Russo came out in the middle of the match and he was like, you know, you're gonna lie down. You're gonna take the pin one, two, three, and it was like. I, like you said, like I want this to be a show. I want to be caught up in the theatrics and and the to suspend my disbelief for a few minutes. You know, like a movie. I don't watch movies so that the director can yell cut and then go to the yeah. guy and say, "Hey, you did this wrong. Let's restart that again." Yeah. But hey, keep that footage rolling because we're gonna we're gonna put that as an extra on the DVD. Like, right. you know what I, I think I mean? yeah, like, I
1: think he let too much that. of his uh of his uh behind the scenes persona. Whether that was completely authentic or not, at least the perception of his behind the scenes persona over his character. I think that yeah, I think he let it take over his character a little too much, um which probably goes on to say that you know if we're gonna put an approval rating down you know finally i'm gonna I'm gonna put it at like a two or a three yeah I don't think he's I don't think he was that special if no. he if he could de- if, if he could have developed a character uh rather than take too much of what he wanted what we wanted to believe he was behind the scenes. I think he could have been better but yeah, you know, I'm going to put him in a 2 or a th- I'm going to give him a 3. I'm going to be a little bit nice. Let's like give him a 3. The, the negative, you know, uh
0: stereotype reputation that he has for, you know, what he's contributed both behind the scenes and in front of the camera, you know, still rings true to this day in wrestling. People still talk about it to the point where uh you listen to 83 weeks with Eric Bischoff, they did a watch along of the episode when he won the world title so, and then a week later the Tony Schiavone WHW podcast did a watch along of the same event too, as well. It's like, how much Vince Russo did they really need to get in? In there, you know. I love Conrad, but damn,
1: you know, he's a he's a it's a jump the shark type of um, easy to go to. Yeah, for, and it's 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 in it, its way now. I think history has treated it a little bit nicer mm-hmm. than uh, than it probably was back then. You know, it's it's just wrestling, man. Yeah. You know, it's it doesn't have to be so serious and. Um, while it can be, while it should be serious, I think, uh, you know, the, the, the critics are probably treating him a little bit better than he, th- than he thinks they are because, oh, yeah, you know, again, it's a little bit more funny than it is like, what the hell did you do to our wrestling? Yeah, exactly. But, yeah, I think we've all dedicated far too much time to Vince oh, Russo yeah, at this point. Let's move on. Yeah, yeah, so I'm gonna, I'm gonna go ahead and scroll down this list and I'm gonna go with one that I, I think wasn't actually as bad as I think many people think it was was the um the era of the guest hosts of Monday Night Raw okay um i was you know you you could sense that you know in its inception it was obviously started when Vince McMahon's billionaire rival uh Donald Trump purchased Monday Night Raw and then within a week he flipped it back to McMahon via the art of the deal uh in a which was stupid by the way, yeah, I know, I agree too, I thought there was legs to it, and there there must have been some sort of last minute change and and Trump sold it back to McMahon for didn't their stock like, go like didn't their stock plummet a little bit I think, after? I, heard, I think I heard that, yeah, I think it was it was something like that, and you know people were worried about it, but you know you probably weren't going to get Trump on raw every week at that point, you know what I mean, so you probably had to figure out what to do. It was definitely a sh- a shock move to to sell Monday Night Raw to Donald Trump. But um, yeah. Again, he sold Raw back to McMahon for you know two, three times more than he bought it, and you know, made a profit off of it. Um, <laughs> for what that's worth, and uh, and I. But I think the the the, the final uh, amendments to that sale were, were Trump's, you know, in, you know, mark on the whole deal was you know celebrity guest hosts and all of that, and and honestly, you know, you, you, we could just. Every week they had a guest host, so we can't really hit every everybody this week, you know, on you know one show. But um, I thought it was a cool concept, you know, akin to your guest hosts of Saturday Night Live every yeah. week. Monday Night Raw was the variety entertainment show, live yep. entertainment. It was basically, and in many ways still is, it's basically Saturday Night Live, you know, in a wrestling in ring. a wrestling ring wearing yeah. tights. Um, so I thought it was a really cool way, especially in comparison to SmackDown and other shows that, you know, brands that they have, it's a different way. It was a way to differentiate the brand. Um, and again, you had your good ones, you you know, your, I don't you mean Bob Barker was an amazing one. And then you had your bad ones like Al Sharpton, you know, some were good, some were not. You didn't expect them all to knock them out of the park, but you know, I thought overall it was a, it was a, a positive to have that, um. You know, and if I had to give an approval rating to the entire project, I'd give it a six. You know, I thought it was bad, more bad, more good
0: than it was bad. Yeah, no, there were there were a lot of great moments that came out of the the raw guest host spots. Like you said, Bob Barker with the whole Prices Right bit. Um, I thought that was some classic stuff. Uh, Shaq when Shaquille O'Neal guest host and he had that face off with Big Show. From that moment on, and it's been talked about even up until you know just a just a year ago. Uh, that moment really sparked a lot of wrestling fans' interest to see Shaq and the Big Show at a WrestleMania. Yeah, uh, you know, and and people. People... People go back to that moment and say like, "Oh, but wow! Like, imagine if they did that at WrestleMania. How cool that would be!" Like, I think that's lost its luster in the last, you know, last year or so. But you go back and you look at that moment that like that hits the highlight reel. You know, a lot of times, oh yeah, just the two of them, you know, squaring off. That's Uh, definitely
1: in a sizzle package when they're when they're showing, you know. Corporate people, how awesome WWE is for sure.
0: Jeremy Piven was a good one from uh, from from HBO's Entourage. Uh, you,
1: you know, I thought it was it could have been better. I was a, such an Entourage Ari, Ari Gold fan. You know, the the one that I think he probably handled you know his blunder the best, calling it Summerfest and not SummerSlam. Yeah, um, he definitely handled it the best. But if you're there, with respect to to the wrestling business and the wrestling fans, if you're there. You gotta know the names, you gotta know the guys. you gotta know what you're talking about. You know it's not all that different from reading a script on set, yeah, so especially if you're an actor, so you know i, I would grade Piven's performance definitely you know as like a two, you know even even with the cross body off the top rope, yeah, I mean, good yeah. for him, but still, I think uh again, there's only limited involvement, you know, I'm sure he was very excited to be there. he seemed like a guy who was very. Um, Despite his blunder, he seemed very into it, and you know. But you know, some are better than others. I don't, you know, it's not his world. He does his best, um, like the rest of them. But I think overall, like I said, the project I thought was a great one, and I would actually wouldn't mind seeing that type of presentation on Raw or SmackDown today.
0: Yeah,
1: as a way to make either brand different from the other, putting a guest host on on a on a brand and 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 making that. The brand where that happens. The last week. time they did
0: something like that, I believe, was SummerSlam a couple of years ago when uh, when uh, John Stewart uh, was the guest host for that SummerSlam in 2015, and he got involved in the finish of the Rollins John yep. Cena match uh, for the WWE Championship. Uh, that was probably the last time that I remember. But uh, you know, it, it it was a great platform for celebrities to get whatever they wanted to advertise out there, um, both good and bad. Like you said, Al Sharpton was one of the worst ones, I think. Um, one of the worst ones that I could recall was uh, the country singer Jewel. Uh, I don't even
1: remember, so I can tell you that, yeah, they I did know.
0: like a mechanical bull riding competition with like Big Show, and she really? was a part of it, and she was you know just she was just kind of there. Um, I thought that was kind of silly. Uh, I loved the um, the one with Stone Cold. When he kind of, at the time, it was in 2010, heading into that WrestleMania that year, and uh, there was that storyline that, you know, they were doing with Vince and Brett, and Brett had just come back, and they had that set-up with... Um, oh! When Brett, when, when Brett was faking the leg injury, yeah. and, and Vince turned the chair around, and Vince and, and the cast was on the table, and Brett yeah. was like, I made you think I was hurt. Yep. You know. I the, remember the, that one. That was assignment. good. But I'll never forget, like... You know, the great the great thing about Steve Austin and a lot of guys of his caliber is that the the consistency with their character and knowing their character, um, especially in a role like that. He, you know, he picked up right where he left off with Vince and he always does when he gets on TV. But I'll never forget. He just like stared him right in the face and was like, you know, I'm going to induct the great student you know, or he says, I'm. Stu Hart's going into the WWE Hall of Fame, whether you like it or not. And I remember he said something to the effect of he's like, and I'm going to beat your ass if you say otherwise, or something like that. And the, or no, he said, he said, uh, he goes, I hope Bret Hart beats the beats the daylights out of you or stomps a mud hole in your ass for everything that you've done to him over these 13 years and just the intensity in that moment i'll never forget um and i was kind of hoping that austin was going to be a part of that angle maybe as a referee of some point but you know we we know how that turned out but yeah good and bad when it comes to it i would have to agree that like you said would you say a five or a six
1: i give it a six, a like, six like i said yeah. more good than bad came from it yep Again, that's what you're gonna get when you do it for so long, is just that pure volume yeah. of of guys every week, and trying to you know select someone just to be there to draw interest, and then finding out their skills. You know, it's just you know what I didn't like about it, um, and I'll bring up an example. Uh,
0: I, I I dug the celebrity factor, and I dug when they would use you know wrestlers from the past. Like for instance, they had Dusty Rhodes host one. Mm-hmm. Okay, and it was from the I believe it was from uh, Joe Louis Arena in Detroit, and it was Randy Orton and Legacy were a part of the storyline, and they were doing stuff I believe with DX at the time, and Dusty was the guest host, and Dusty had kind of did like a little mini, you know, heel turn for the night, and. He was kind of, you know, stacking the, the odds in Legacy's favor. I don't remember the particulars exactly, but I know the, Cena was involved. Cena I was like, involved because he I was think, working too. with Orton. Yeah, and all of a sudden, Orton punted Dusty and gave him the old kick to the head. And you know, Cody Rhodes, son of the American Dream, Dusty Rhodes, part of Legacy, was shocked and didn't really know what to make of what Orton did. But then the next week, it was like they didn't even address it. Yep. And I just felt like you did that all for this just, you know, one night, you know? I just felt there was no consistency in the storytelling when it came to that. Because I thought, too, that Dusty could have been, I mean, God rest his soul, Dusty, one of the all-time greats, he could have been a good permanent fixture as a general manager or a commissioner or whatever for Monday Night Raw, and I felt like some of those guys, the, the the wrestler wise, you know, when it comes to the wrestlers, I don't know if their intention, if WWE's intention was, let's take a look at them and see what we can possibly do with them in the future by putting them in this role. But there were a few guys that they could have, if they wanted to end the gener- you know, the, the guest host uh, gimmick, they could have put the, some of those guys in that role permanently. And I don't feel like they they really capitalized on that.
1: Uh no yeah I would agree and I think in the in the dusty scenario I feel like um, WWE it, it, at least and again I could be totally off off base here yeah uh, but I I feel like WWE does a lot of that stuff like they did with Cody and and Randy Orton just to I don't want to even say plant a seed but to to have it in their back pocket if they yeah. needed to use it eight months down the road where Cody Rhodes or you know Randy Orton are feuding or are gonna turn against each other. They can go and, and fish that out of the well and, mm-hmm. and bring that into whatever story they're trying to put together. So I can, de- but I could definitely see, you know, especially because obviously it went nowhere. It it, it 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 concludes with like a okay now what yeah so yeah. But like I said, overall I thought the you know I would agree with the idea that you know you could certainly take a guy like Dusty or Steve Austin or some other you know active wrestler or not active but you know an actual wrestler. And put him in a more permanent role, but you know what? That was the best part about it, is, in some ways, is not knowing who is going to be next. Yeah. And, um, you know, I would have probably been like, oh, they're done with this already? If they just decided we're going to stick with Dusty or Steve Austin or mm-hmm. whoever. So um, while, that, while they would have long-term probably performed better, the weekly thing, I thought, was what made it different. Yeah. So oh, absolutely. That, yeah, that's, what, that's probably my best reason for liking it so much.
0: Now, we we, we talked about Dusty. We talked about Stone Cold uh, being two, you know, raw guest hosts at one point. Uh, They were also um, authority figures at one point in uh, in storylines. Dusty, I believe, had a role uh, in WCW, uh, a limited role as a part of the championship committee. Um, But that that role in WCW seemed to fluctuate with a number of legends. Roddy Piper had that that role. Um, But Dusty also was part of... uh, TNA as well in the early days and he was the director of authority, the DOA and he would set up his office in the back of his pickup truck with a couple (laughs) barrels of hay and he would make all the decisions from back there which kind of reminded me of uh, Mick Foley as... The commissioner in 2000, after he had retired for the first time, and how he would have his office set up in various different parts of the arenas uh, across the country. At one point, I think he had his office on a forklift, yes. um, and he was you know with the gavel making decisions by honking the horn on the forklift uh, in the bowels of buildings and boiler rooms and and storage closets. You know, Foley would have a, an intricate setup, which I thought was pretty cool. What I'm getting at here is the former wrestlers turned GM. So, for instance, we mentioned Dusty. We mentioned Foley. Stone Cold Steve Austin was the co-GM of Monday Night Raw with Eric Bischoff. Let's talk a little bit about some of the former wrestlers that became GMs and give me some of your approval ratings on what those guys' characters did as authority figures for the particular shows and brands. Um,
1: I'll start with Steve Austin. I thought thought Austin worked well because he had Eric Bischoff to play off of. They kind of had that, you know... Oh, before you, know, before you let me
0: cut you off for a second. Before I, you go further, Austin was also the co-owner of the World Wrestling Federation with the McMahon He was after it was revealed that Vince McMahon was the Greater Power. It's me, Austin. Yep. yep. <laughs> yes, though so, the McMahon
1: family sold their shares to com- be, compete with Vince after he, you know, was so dastardly the Greater Power. But, um, but like I said, I think he worked well because he had that like Abbott Costello type relationship with Bischoff and of course there was all the behind the scenes um, you know stories. perceptions and stories of yeah. their real life relationship and you know everything that we know now tells us that they seem to be on good terms yep. but um, that was kind of I thought what made Austin good and, and like I thought it was a it was a better way like they tried the comedic route you know in 01, 02 with the you know the the, the singing and the guitar and the cowboy hat and the Kurt Angle stuff and you know, that's not the Steve Austin we wanted to see while he was still kicking ass and taking names. Mm-hmm. But that's the perfect Steve Austin you put in a role as an authority figure. And I thought, again, even, it, it, it goes, it speaks, like you said, the consistency of his character. It speaks to who Steve Austin is as a as a as a, as a character in that even as an authority figure, he's anti-authority because he has to work against Eric Bischoff, who would be, you know, in many ways, the original heel authority figure. Yep. Um I would say Mick Foley would be maybe my favorite of all the past wrestlers, assuming new roles. Um, Like you said, like every week just finding out where he was going to be, you know, his office at least. And and I would imagine that was probably like the funnest job, you know, on a weekly basis. Like, all right, where's Foley's office going to be? And um, Go find me a lava lamp, a blow-up dinosaur, yeah, you know? Yeah, like, just find the janitor, <laughs> see if he'll let you into the into lost and found closet, and just, let's build an office. <laughs> yeah, right. Um So, you know, I thought Mick Foley was, was good at that, too. Um, and here's the other thing that we seem to kind of forget. There wasn't, like, this assumption with, with wrestlers, especially when Foley was the commissioner, or... That they were going to come back and wrestle, yeah. Like he was the authority figure. That was it. We yep. started getting carried away, especially after it happened the first time. But we started getting carried away with, oh, well, he's coming back to wrestle, or he. Oh, it's oh, it's this all the, it's, start him yeah, it's the start of yeah. It's the start of an angle with so and so. You know, now that's just literally what it is. Yeah. Um. And I like the idea of like, no, he's a, he's he's an authority figure. He's well, not wrestling anymore. This is a better use of his skill. Shawn Michaels was the same way Mm -hmm. as the commissioner of the WWF. Um, As as far as, I will give you one that I didn't like as a wrestler, probably for the reason I just stated, and that's Kurt Angle. Currently? No, no. Kurt Angle, Kurt Angle now I like.
0: Okay.
1: Kurt Angle, neck surgery 2003. To
0: SmackDown GM. Yeah, yeah, I
1: didn't, I didn't, I didn't buy that. To me, that was like, oh, well, we need to keep Kurt Angle on TV. Let's just make him the general manager. I'm kind of on board with you
0: with that, and here's why: not because Kurt Angle was the general manager, because if you remember, the the reason why he was the general manager was because. Brock Lesnar had left the WWE at that time and they had to reshuffle SmackDown storylines. They did that draft where they tried to beef up SmackDown and make it, you know, as even and on par with Raw. And they did that storyline where Paul Heyman, as the SmackDown general manager, was drafted to Monday Night Raw to work for Eric Bischoff. I thought the prospects of that would have been amazing because the two of them at the time had real life heat with each other over their working relationship in WCW and the, you know, as as adversaries as, you know, figureheads for their respective companies that was exploited on television. I would have loved to have seen a Bischoff Paul Heyman combination uh in 2004, but they had Paul Heyman's character quit on TV. <laughs> and then that's when they gave Kurt Angle that role. Yeah, I wasn't a big fan of it and he was injured, so I think that's why they gave him the role. Oh but. yeah.
1: I but I just felt like you knew regardless unless there was some, you know, out of, even even then, you kind of knew. Well, he's coming back. Yeah. So he's not, He's only the GM for so long. Yep. And I didn't think that that was like. I don't know. It just it just kind of mentally puts you in a fixed like time frame of okay, it's only going to be this. Yeah. Versus like we don't need to fire and hire guys every six months. Like why can't we just have a, a long term authority figure yep. and, and I, I like I, a Jack Tunney. Yeah. You didn't get <laughs> you did You definitely don't get that now. No, but you know, I think that was a perfect example of, well, he's only going to be this f- until he's healthy.
0: Yeah, Angle's a guy that I didn't really care for in that role because I saw his his strengths as a as a performer, as an in ring performer, that rather than you know, as an authority figure. Gr- don't get me wrong, entertaining guy, oh, yeah. uh, you know, across the board, but in that role it just wasn't his strongest. Uh, as much as of a, a big fan I am of this individual, I didn't really care for him as the WWF commissioner, and you just mentioned him, Shawn Michaels. I felt like Shawn Michaels at that time, because he had retired and you know he had that back injury and they, they put him in that role as the commissioner. You know, I would have To, I was a big, maybe it's just me personally, selfishly, as a big Shawn Michaels fan, but I would have liked to have seen him regularly on TV as the commissioner. But they kind of teased you with him, like they'd bring him out and they would do something with him, something that had some meaning. Like when he joined the corporation with Vince McMahon and he was their commissioner, even though they had like a whole fucking, you know, round table of authority figures in that group, everyone had power, including, uh, including the big boss man, and Shawn Michaels was, you know, um their their commissioner their their uh, you know the, the guy that called the shots for them i guess whatever when they didn't want to and he does the storyline with them he super kicks vince he's out of the corporation he kind of reunites with dx then he gets beat up and he disappears and then he comes back you know months later and he he makes one big match and then he's a part of the the debut episode of smackdown and he he super kicks the rock like he it was like a i love you you know, but I don't love you, kind of like, you know, he loves me, he loves me not. Like, yeah, you know, he kind of like tugged at my heartstrings a little bit when it came to his yeah. role as the commissioner. If I'm going to give him an approval rating, you know, and we'll give the others approval ratings that we just mentioned, but if I'm going to give Shawn Michaels as the WWF commissioner approval rating, I'm going to have to go with like, Four, maybe or a five, and that's just and and that's me being kind, just on his name value
1: alone. Oh wow, because I would have given him six because I feel like he still had that impact as Shawn Michaels, a legend that he was even at that time. Mm -hmm. I feel like he had he had that impact based on like you said, he would disappear for a little while, he'd come back, and he did something, and it meant something. You know what I mean? He had impact, so I feel like that's where I would probably give more of an approval rating for Mm -hmm. him. Um, But I will agree with you in the and he kind of tugged at your heartstrings a little bit because. You never got enough of Shawn Michaels. Yeah, uh, whether that, in that was role, in the yeah. ring or or definitely in that role, you never got enough of him. So um, I think the way they featured him as a an attraction of sorts was was a big deal. Whether they advertised him to arrive or he or he uh, made a surprise appearance, he every time he showed up, the place blew up for him. Here's here's I, I was so, wa- I was watching
0: this recently, and and, and we'll, we'll we'll you know. Uh, Touch upon others, of course, you know, in this conversation. But I had to get this off my chest. Do you remember when? And you mentioned it, like when he comes out, he makes an impact. Do um, you remember at WrestleMania 15 the controversy surrounding the, the special referee with The Rock and Steve Austin, and Vince eventually named himself the referee because yep, he got Big Show arrested because Big Show punched him in the face after Big Show, you know, cost. The corporation, the match, and Mankind was supposed to be the ref, but he was going to the hospital, and so Vince made himself the referee, and he comes out, and then Michael's music plays, and it's like, holy cow, like, the place blew up, and... One of the dumbest rulings ever as an authority figure was when Shawn Michaels said that the only person that's allowed to appoint a special guest referee at a WrestleMania is the commissioner of the World Wrestling Federation, not the owner yeah, of yeah, the yeah. World Wrestling Federation.
1: The guy who created WrestleMania, yeah, my In you.
0: 1999, I was like, oh shit, that's so cool. In 2018, I was
1: like, what kind of fucking logic is that? Yeah, there's, a, there's a funny meme to follow that one Yeah, for sure. Um, no, yeah, I would say, um, I would say that I remember that one being a big deal, though, for sure. Um, let me ask you this, though. You know, we just okay. talked about a bunch of a bunch of wrestlers, you know, making good um, authority figures. Now, what about? This is going to probably sound a little too general, so I might have to rephrase this. Um, when someone was announced as the new authority figure, GM, commissioner, president, what have you, uh-huh. which one gave you like? Like what was like, what was the most memorable reaction to to a, to a certain announcement? Like, oh my God, he or she is the guy, the girl, it, they're in charge. Like, where was that level of optimism, or where was that? oh God, like this person, like this is dumb. Right? All right, like,
0: well, well, negative, negatively, Mike Adamley. Oh, we're gonna
1: have fun with this one then. Yeah. But keep going.
0: Negatively, Mike Adamly for sure because. You know that was a way out of left field choice Uh, someone traditionally that I didn't think would even be considered for a a role as the raw general manager at that time in 2008 positively Eric Bischoff as the raw GM in 2002 I was like wow holy shit Like, like I'll never forget the line that Jerry Lawler um, delivered on commentary when Bischoff was hugging Vince McMahon he said every Monday night I used to sit next to Vince McMahon when he would wish death upon Eric Bischoff and now the two of them are hugging in front of millions around the world um, that was the kind of that was the kind of like Wow, like it like it, it, jolted the product, because for me personally, as a fan at the time, I was not a big proponent of the, the brand extension in 2002. I felt there were a lot of inconsistencies creatively, uh, breaking up a lot of tag teams, and there I didn't feel like there was an overall general direction that they had with that. And I felt like, you know, there was too much intermingling, you know, of, of guys on, you know, that are supposed to be exclusive property to raw and SmackDown. And I felt like at this point, WWE management and creative realized that, and they needed to kind of switch things up. And with Bischoff as the raw GM, like that kind of, that kind of really, you know, set the, was like a a new start to the brand extension, even in the early days of it. And that would, to me positively, I was like, it was a shot in the arm creative. It was like, wow, like, that should have happened a year before. Yeah. You know what I mean? But, yeah. it, but it was still cool when it happened. Yeah, those, I, so those, those negative and positively, Bischoff and Mike Adamley.
1: I will say that I actually had a positive reaction to Mike Adamley. Um, One of your guilty pleasures, by the way. Yeah. Over in the archives at SoundCloud.com, our guilty pleasures episode. I Justin- thought the the Mike Adamley um, promotion to general manager of Monday Night Raw was... Like, I... I you know, this is probably a weird comparison, but, you know, I, I go back to, to things that kind of, you know, happen in real life that people can relate to. But, like, you're on the job or you, you voted for someone in an election and that, that transfer of power, whether it's the new boss, the new mayor, who have, you know, whatever it is that you know is going to have an impact on your day-to-day life, gives you that, like, the either – it it gives you that that feeling of change. I'm not yep. saying – you know, and, and it's it, it just – You may not be sure where it's going to go, what's going to happen. Obviously, many people probably make up their own minds. But just that that change of pace, that just different guy in the big seat, if you will, makes you go like, wow, there is a whole treasure trove of things that Mike Adamley can do as the general manager of Raw that were not possible when William Regal, I believe, was the general manager before that. Yeah. Those are just two different characters, two different people to be played off of. Um, And like you said, it was way out of left field. So it's like for as left field as it was out of, who's to say that it's going to be bad? I know he can't say Jeff Hardy's name correctly, you know, and he can't, you know, hold his own on commentary with Taz. But who's to say this isn't where we find a good home for him? So I was very, I don't want to say devil's advocate, but I was optimistic in that. At worst, it's going to be funny and entertaining as hell because he, he sucks at it. Yeah. At best, he knocks it out of the park. And obviously, it was more of the worst scenario where he sucked at it. But on a positive, or excuse me, a negative, because I'll call that one a positive. On a negative for me, um, you know, I wasn't a big fan of kind of like any guy that, or girl that was brought back as a GM. Or an authority figure, so that they had more than one run. Yeah, so like, or like, they were they assumed a role, or they're, they're, or the power struggle kind of put them back in the pit. Like a Vicky Guerrero, Vicky Guerrero was great in her in her run and her character overall. But like, you've been you've been the authority figure. Maybe you've like, been you, there you, done You know at. what I mean? Like, I know it's for the storyline that you've you know you've taken advantage of Teddy Long, and that'd be another guy. We we have we've seen you before, man.
0: Like. But at least they, Teddy Long in the sense was consistent, like you said, a long term authority figure had, you know, a number of years as the SmackDown right. general manager with a brief stop in the the WWE ECW brand yeah. for a brief moment in time. But uh, you know, at least he was consistent. Yeah,
1: I it just did I just I, I always thought there was a lot like obviously they know what they're getting when they put someone in there that's done it before, but it's mm-hmm. like I said, freshness, variety, someone new. Um, like I loved the idea of AJ Lee as the general manager of raw. I thought she was on fire when she became the general manager. I and forgot I was, about that. And one. I was, and I was like, hell yeah. yeah. She was as over as anybody in the, in the WWE for a good while. Mm-hmm. And, um, again, that's what I like freshness. You know, if they made, you know, if they made Lillian Garcia, the general manager of Monday at raw tomorrow, I would be interested because wow, that's just wouldn't even think of that. Yeah. Let's see what happens. That's, you know, like I said, any, anything that was repetitive is what, to me, is like, eh, I, I, I've seen it before. I kind of feel that way when it came
0: to uh, Regal William Regal's uh, second and third run. I think he had a few runs as Raw right. GM, maybe. The first time, you know, when he replaced Mick Foley as the commissioner in 2000, when he was fired by Vince, yep. um, that, to me, was probably, like, the the best William Regal as a character um, of all time. That's what I remember. You know, I, I yeah. remember him as, as, you know,
1: the, the, uh, the what they call him? The goodwill ambassador of the World yeah.
0: Wrestling Federation at the yeah. time,
1: I, I believe. Yeah, the stuff he did with Jericho was good and, you know, booking himself in the the Duchess of Queensberry match. With all those fake rules. Yeah. yeah. He just basically changed rules on the fly every yep. time he lost. Yeah. That was like really cool stuff and it, I remember that match, I think it was like a Backlash, backlash 2001, 2001 or whatever. Yeah. And it was like he lost and then he was the guy's on the mic and he's just like, you know, according to the Duchess of Queensbury rules, like you can't win the match on, you know you know, using the the walls of Jericho. Yeah. <laughs> like what? Yeah. But like it was interesting. You know, as still as stupid as it was when you got to match time, you were still interested because it was like this big secret, like, what's the Duchess of Queensbury rules? Like, oh my god and like of course no one else knows but but, but William Regal, but yeah. again, that's like using your, your power to your advantage, which is something that I think not every bad guy heel authority figure does well and I thought he did well in that role. Oh no, absolutely. He definitely, you know, used that
0: to to uh to his advantage in that match. Um you know, let's kind of circle back a little bit some of these approval ratings cuz that's what we're doing here this week. Um you know, you mentioned, you know, we we talked Shawn Michaels, Steve Austin. What what would you give Steve Austin an approval rating as the, you know, the the co-owner and the co-GM of Monday Night
1: Raw? You know, I'm. I'd give him. I might give him an eight. Yeah. I'd put him up there in that Jack Tunney class because, especially at that time on Monday Night Raw, you had Eric Bischoff and Monday Night Raw being run by you know at least in the ring by Triple H. Mm-hmm. You know, very heel dominated. You need that. You needed that balance of Steve yeah. Austin. You know, i um, you know with his white hat, if you will, kind of re- establishing order. You yeah. know, as the sheriff of Monday Night Raw that he was. So I would say, he, and again, he. You know, Steve Austin, his character is one of the greatest of all time. Um, Yeah. Oh my God, that was that was great stuff. I just saw a video on Twitter recently
0: of uh, when when Austin was the GM of Raw and Triple H and Evolution were like, you know, the top heel faction and. Triple H comes out to interrupt Austin and he does his normal entrance and the hard camera's panned on Hunter and he's about to spit the water and Austin's like, Cut that music. Nobody wants to see you spit your water all over the place. And it was like his his timing, and I said this on our on our SmackDown Top Ten show. His comedic timing is very underrated. Right oh, now. I would agree with I think that. he's like one of the most underrated comedic characters. As much as he's revered and remembered as this badass that, you know, takes shit from no buddy his comedic timing is unbelievable yeah. you got to go back and watch yeah. the green frog grocery store brawl with yep. him and booker t um or what was th- another one
1: the redneck olympics or whatever with uh, eric bischoff oh I mean, yeah when may young stuck the sardines down her crotch amazing <laughs> that was just with partly the come buster. on yeah you they, could have put that on wrestlemania and it would have sold out as
0: stupid as some of that stuff was that shit was pretty funny yeah. the burping contest they had oh yeah um yeah, you know Steve Austin, okay. Dusty. Like I said, uh, but f- I would have to agree with you in the sense that Foley was probably the the best wrestler to um, to turn you know authority figure with his role as the general manager. I'd give him a nine or a ten, even like me yeah, personally. I think I
1: would put him at i put him at a nine or yeah. You know, I don't like. There's no such thing as a perfect ten in my world. Sorry, Ty Dillinger. Um, I'd give him a 9. I would certainly give him a 9 for sure. And I think I would put Steve in that, what I say, 8? He's definitely in that 8 category. And, and Dusty, I would call him a 7, maybe a 7.5.
0: Now here's two guys we'll, we'll, we'll kind of discuss. Two guys, in my opinion, who I feel are very underrated in the role as an authority figure. Um, Bill Watts, in 1992 in WCW, he was behind the scenes. He, you know... Did He ran the creative and as well as the wrestling operations for World Championship Wrestling alongside a couple other guys. I believe uh, uh, Bill Shaw and Bob Dew, I want to say, were also had a part in that. But, but Bill Watts was the the main guy in charge. And he was also the television figurehead as the executive vice president, I think, of either the championship committee or of WCW. And Watts' character, going back, you know, remembering at that time in 1992 he had some unorthodox rulings like um nobody's allowed to use the top rope or nobody's allowed to throw an individual over the top rope yet they were in the midst of launching a wcw light heavyweight division with jushin thunder liger and flying brian pillman um which i thought was pretty silly and then even throwing a guy over the top rope i thought was um you know that that Resulting in a disqualification, I thought that was pretty silly, but Watts was probably the first of my recollection of authority figures that he wasn't just an office guy, you know, he wasn't just the guy that made the decisions, but, like, he also, you know if he had to get his hands dirty at times he did you know with the likes of Jim Cornette and the Midnight Express or even the dangerous alliance at one point with with Paulie Dangerously Watts um that suit and tie meant nothing to him he he kind of you know got in there and mixed it up with the heels which Yeah, I, he didn't uh, he didn't live in that ivory tower that's for sure no i mean and there's there's some famous stories regarding the stuff that he used to do behind the scenes um, in WCW in the office that you know were some of the reasons why he was uh, he was he was thrown out of his position. And another individual, um, actually, you know, before I get to this individual, I'll probably give Watts maybe a five when it comes to his rating um, because even though the execution of some of his um, his rulings on TV were. You know, made you scratch your head, like I said, the top rope rule, and, you know, that just, as a kid, baffled me, especially with flying Brian Pillman. Um,. But he was one, like I said, he was one of those guys that, like, he called it fair and down the middle. He didn't favor the good guys like a lot of the good guy, babyface authority figures do nowadays, where they kind of give the babyface the advantage over the heel, even though the heel kind of antagonizes their actions. Um, He was pretty fair down the middle. But another, so I'll give Watts a five, but another individual that... I thought was an interesting authority figure at that time and something that was a little different was Cyrus from ECW when he was the representative of the network, oh, man, yeah. the TNN network, which at the time was um, airing ECW television on that network and it had become Spike TV. I believe now it's Paramount Television, I want to say. Um, it could, yeah. Yeah, I don't even remember. It on
1: Spike TV was when
0: wrestling was on so. it. But, um Yes, Cyrus was, you know, the representative of the network, and at the time, the network was they they were ECW was the guinea pig to see if wrestling would would fly on their on their television program, and um, behind the scenes, a lot of stuff had taken place that had resulted in you know eventually ECW's downfall because of the strict rules that the network had on them and. Paul Heyman to his genius used that as a storyline, and Cyrus, who was at one time just a color commentator, became the on-screen authority figure as a representative of the network. Um, something that I thought was very uh, underrated and underappreciated for wrestling at that time.
1: Uh, I would agree. Uh, that was actually around the time that I was really in getting into ECW that I was able, excuse me, able to watch it. Um, my my exposure to ECW before that was. The magazines, and you know, whatever time I was able to get on the internet. Um, but yeah, when they were on TNN and you know, they were kind of spearheaded by the likes of Mike Awesome and Masato Tanaka. Um, that was, and and again, Cyrus, you know, kind of being he kind of was the top heel, yeah, you know, in the promotion at the time. You know, they had just lost the Dudleys, they had just lost Taz, you know, they were in a in a transitional period, and you know, they were. Uh, I mean, history looks at it now and says that they were kind of on a downward spiral at that point, given all the politics that, that was, were taking place backstage. But to me, I was, op- you know, as a fan, I was optimistic. Like, wow, like, WCW is terrible. If I want to watch something else that's not WWF, it's going to be ECW yeah. at this point, because ECW was killing Lance Storm, Just Incredible Rhino... Rob Van Dam, Tommy Dreamer, uh, yeah. yeah, they 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 had they were it was definitely more my bag than WCW was and because WCW never really was, but that's another topic. But back to Cyrus, I think um, he was definitely uh, a strong, hateable, punchable. You knew he was going to get his come up yeah. type authority figure. You know he he was and he was a, he was a worker. You know, obviously knowing that later on that he he was going to make it look good, and he wasn't going to be a wimp, even though he could play that on TV. He could be a wrestler that plays a non-wrestler, and it would make it Look good.
0: He is like that weasel that you know at work that's really tight with the boss and can get away with with murder and has no problem rubbing it in your face. You know, he's he's. I've worked with plenty of guys that you know were, were, we're pretty tight with the boss and would would have no problem letting you know about it and they could do no wrong even though their 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 performances weren't up to standards and I felt like he was that little weasel that just you know yeah like like you know like you said you wanted to, you wanted to see him get punched in the face even. Even though, you know, it, it, it would come few and far between. Yeah, he was
1: definitely the guy at work who would come up to you and be like, hey, like, we're all going out for happy hour. And you're like, really? No one invited me. And he'd be like, oh, okay, cool. Well, I'm going. See ya. <laughs> like, that's Cyrus. Yeah. Like, that's and you be like, God, like, what a dick. Like, yeah, and yeah, like, he, and and, he, and I think, you know, he was booked in such a way by Paul Heyman, like you said, his genius, where he was, he presented himself in a situation that was just so timely, you know. Any anything that was about to get really extreme or raw or uncensored or what have you, it, you know, very very trademark, you know, moments in ECW. Cyrus would make his presence known, almost very right to censor. I was just gonna say that. Yeah. Um, just kind of like you know, nope, uh, uh-uh. not, not not here. Today. Yeah. And I mean, there's nothing more more uh, pure it in heat as as that is. You think you're gonna get what you want, but you're not. Yeah. And and then of course just the character that kind of delivers that message too. I thought he was you know what, I'm gonna give him a six because, you know, he was certainly on a lower level, you know, as far as exposure went, but I thought as a character he was a very good character that I think could have found a home on, on a on a on WWE, you know, television for sure.
0: Absolutely, absolutely. Why don't we continue? I'll let you uh pick a name off this list that All we can right. kinda of discuss and dissect here.
1: Uh, Let's go with. I'm gonna go with a go with something positive, something something good. Um, you know you know what? I know we're retro, but I'm gonna go with one that I think is actually working out pretty well right now, and I'm gonna go with Constable Corbin. Constable Corbin. Constable Corbin. I think. (laughs) At first when he you know, obviously he's he's in the thick of it right now, and again, this is more current events than it is retro, but I think, you know, when he first was re- introduced into that role, I, like many people were just like, ugh. Like, really? But he's made it his own, man. He changed his look, he cut his hair, he's he's got this he Cyrus type Yeah, you know, personality. Representing to him. Stephanie in the authority. Yeah, 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 he's yeah, and he's just you know his stuff that he did. You know recently with, um, you know, with the the, the, the the global battle royal and all that whole <laughs> that whole shtick there was was just priceless stuff. And while you know, again, he was just you know for a guy who is six seven or whatever he is six six, pretty smarmy type of guy that you just want to see get his ass kicked. And um, you know, and at the, and definitely presents himself in a scenario when you think you're going to get what you want and, and, and he, he reminds you of who exactly he, he is and what he does yeah. I, think he's, I, think he's, I think he's doing a heck of a job right now
0: um, I'm kind of back and forth on him. There, he's got his bright spots as an authority figure character, and then there's other times where I'm just like, eh, like I could take it or leave it. Like, I'm not really, I'm not too impressed. But like you said, like, I'm impressed that, you know, he's changed his look up a little bit. I mean, he had no choice. He had to cut his hair. Otherwise, <laughs> he's going to look like the fucking Crypt Keeper, and that just wasn't, you know, cutting it for me. But, yeah, the, changing up his look. Um, One interesting thing that... I think got a recently got a lot of flack uh, for his character was that he looked to have uh, you know really not put the screws to the shield but like really made things difficult for the for that group on Raw and he put Roman Reigns in a match with Dolph Ziggler and Roman Reigns wanted to defend the Universal Championship and he vetoed that idea. And most bad guy authority figures in wrestling traditionally over the years would revel at the idea of you know having the the babyface champion defend their championship with insurmountable odds or at inopportune times. And I found it interesting that he vetoed Roman Reigns' request to defend the championship. Th- Almost like,
1: no, I'm going to tell you when you get to defend that title. Well, I thought the psychology of that has been beautiful only because, you know, most, you know, not most, but, you know, the the the, the, the very loud minority of people who boo Roman Reigns, they, they want that man to have nothing to do with the universal title. So, yes, please, have him defend the title. Yeah. Let's see him yeah. lose the belt. So he's really not punishing Roman Reigns more so as he's punishing the, the fans. fans yeah. You know, no, 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 he's going to be the champion as long as I want him <laughs> to be the champion. It's basically Vince McMahon out there with a shaved head saying, yeah. no, he is your champion until I say he's yeah. no longer champion. That's and I think there is a, especially with a guy like Dolph Ziggler, who, you know, many people would say is a deserving candidate for a, a championship title run. They look at him and, and, and say, yes, this could be the time that Dolph does it. And yeah. nope, nope, <laughs> nope, not at all. Back up, pump the brakes. Yeah. He's the champion still because I will not let I will I will say when he defends it. Like you said, there's a, a, a establishment of dominance there too, that is just so smarmy that ugh, like no, I, we don't want to see that. We want to see him lose. You're not even letting us get that.
0: Yeah, interesting. That's an interesting take on it. Uh,
1: why don't you pick someone
0: else uh, on this list here?
1: All right. All right. Let me see. Because, like I said, I'm,
0: I wasn't the biggest Constable Corbin fan, so you know that's about all I could take when it came to that conversation. Constable <laughs> Corbin. Constable Corbin. That's what. It, that's what it sounds like. <laughs>
1: um. Let's go with probably my first introduction to an authority figure. Let's go with WWF President Gorilla Moss. All right, so, interesting. Let's go with him. Okay. Um. Me, like I said, you, Jack Tunney was kind of your foray into wrestling politics, at least on camera, if you will. Yep. Um, you know, on the stump, I would say Gorilla Monsoon was definitely my, you know, the honorable. You know, there was just, you know, even in many ways, more dignity to Gorilla Monsoon. You knew who Gorilla Monsoon was just based off of, you know, the education that was being given about his character. Yes, he was a, a, a you know, a commentator for years. But uh, even then, he was a legendary wrestling figure yep. that kind of assumed this position that only a guy like Gorilla Monsoon could um, could assume. And you know, he, you know, you didn't know this. None of us knew this then. But you know, the, the damn the damn curtain is named the Gorilla position back there in real life. So you know, that's you know, he's almost like a mythical like Andre the Giant like person. That w- of course he would be the president. He is the only person like. He's like one of the founding fathers of the WWF. Of course he's going to be the president.
0: That's interesting, yeah. I mean, uh, I was was excited for Monsoon as the president only because I missed him on commentary. Like, I enjoyed him on commentary, but I just missed him being a part of the show. Like, I thought it was rather strange when he was not commentating Wrestlemania 9 and he was just like the you know he had like the little sideline reporter kind of yeah, you know correspondent, the yeah. correspondent for like you know two segments and that was really about it like so when he became the president of the World Wrestling Federation I was like okay cool because Monsoon on commentary especially with Heenan but you know with Jesse Ventura and other guys this, like of heel you know characters or whatever he wasn't afraid to you know mix it up and and go back and forth and debate with with the other guy as to why it was unfair that you know a Hulk Hogan or a Bret Hart got screwed or you know what I mean or some or so and so cheated and he wasn't afraid to, to 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 speak his mind and his his character as the president did the same things as well you know whether it was for you know the to defend the baby faces against the heels and even vice versa. I mean, his character also made some unpopular decisions that didn't really resonate well with the fans. Like for instance, um, I'll go back and, uh, hearken the, uh, in your house September of 1995 it was labeled the triple header main event and it was for the first time in World Wrestling Federation history uh, the WWF champion the Intercontinental champion and the tag team championships were all on the line in the same match I remember that one yeah and going Sean and Diesel versus Yoko and, and Owen right it was that's what it was scheduled as and, ele- and going into the match Owen Hart was not in the building he was running late according to Jim Cornette and Monsoon for one night only was going to allow Cornette to find a replacement for Owen. And that person would be the world wrestling federation tag team champion in replacement of Owen and Cornette as smart as he is then said, well, what happens if that replacement pins diesel or Sean, does that person become the WWF champion or the intercontinental champion? And Monsoon says, well yeah, I mean if they're in the match then yes they should be awarded the opportunity to to become the champion if they were to win. And uh Davey Boy Bulldog yep. was the replacement. He had already wrestled a match earlier in the evening. Um And I think it was against Bam Bam Bigelow, I want to say, he wrestled. I I don't remember exactly. But he was part of the tag match. And they did the old dusty finish, as they like to call it, where Owen made a a run-in during the match. And Diesel power-bombed him. And Owen was the one that got pinned, even though he wasn't the legal competitor in the the match. match, And at the end of that pay-per-view, Sean and Diesel were... Sporting all the gold, the Intercontinental Championship, the Tag Team Titles, and the WWF Championship. The following night on Raw, Monsoon had to reverse that decision because Owen Hart was not the legal man, and that wasn't very popular with the audience that attended Monday Night Raw that night, as well as viewers at home. I mean, I personally you know, I'm a big Shawn Michaels fan. I was a big Diesel fan back then. I, I liked the prospects of them having all the gold. I thought it was kind of yeah. cool. And I thought, well, shoot, Owen was advertised as the, cha- as the guy that was going to be in the match. Owen was contractually obligated to be a part of the match, even though he wasn't in the match for the majority of it. He was there for the end. That should have counted as the decision. But, you know, uh, Gorilla Monsoon's thinking and his, uh, you know, his... Uh, I I how would you describe it? His uh voice of reason came into play. Yeah. And as and you know, then as a fan I was like, All right, well I guess it makes sense. But yeah, he was like he was along the lines of a Jack Tunney in many ways. Oh definitely. Uh, but a little more involved than Tunney.
1: Yeah, yeah, no, definitely. I mean, you know, one of the more, you know, scarring moments of my childhood. Oh, here to we go, I him, remember this. Was to see him uh, get his ass beat by Vader, you know, you know, heading into WrestleMania, um 12. 12, yeah, and that brought out Roddy Piper, who was a great, you know, authority figure in his own right, but, like, again, like, the honorable Gorilla Monsoon, like, that's, I mean, what a way to put over a guy like Vader, you know, to, to go beat up Gorilla Monsoon, that's, like, stuff you hear about, like, you know, you know, back in, like, the territory days, yep. you know, he beat up the president of the World Wrestling Federation, that, that never happened. Yeah, you know what I mean. So to see that happen, and 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 you know, monsoon, you know, bumped like like a dead person, you know, no pun intended, because you know he's no longer with us. But you know, he 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 made it look good. Um, but you know, monsoon was, um, I would definitely give him. You know, I'm gonna put him up there as a nine. You know, I thought monsoon was uh, was definitely like you said. He was he was a lot like Tunney. He was the voice of reason. He made the difficult decisions, but he also got in there a little bit. Yep. He was a little more present than Jack Tunney was, um, you know. But he wasn't. But but at the same time, not everything he made himself present for was of impact either. It was a little more realistic in that sense. If that makes you know, if that if that comes across correctly, like no, I, I could definitely like he's there. Like of course he's there. He's yep. the president. He would be there. Yeah. So I'm going to put him up there as a nine, you know, in that Foley category for sure. I, I thought he was definitely that. definitely one of the all-time great authority figures.
0: I can definitely get behind that for sure. Um, we kind of touched upon him a little bit. Uh, why don't we discuss uh, – actually, you know what? I'm going to hold off on this individual right now. Um, let's talk the anonymous raw general <laughs> manager because if if there was ever a guilty pleasure and and – We've discussed our guilty pleasures, like I said, over in the archives at SoundCloud.com. I'm sure we'll have another guilty pleasures episode later on down the line here on Kicking Out of 2. But um, I really dug the anonymous raw general manager and the mystery behind it and the prospects of who could it have been uh, as the anonymous raw general manager. I, I just... I really uh, the 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 laptop and Michael Cole having to you know may I have your attention please and the amount of booze that that would get I I really ah, I just I, I liked it a lot of people crap all over it because obviously the payoff was you know Hornswoggle uh, was revealed to be the Raw General Manager um, on an episode of Raw a number of years ago but I. I, I forgot about the raw general manager when that came up yeah it was that far out yeah but the the prospects of of who it could have been and the reasons behind it and trying to uh, connect the dots if you will on some of the decisions that the raw GM made during its tenure uh was was intriguing and fascinating for me
1: I would agree I thought very early on it had there was a lot of anticipation every week based on what you know you, again it was every week trying to connect the dots it was very much well why would they rule against this person and rule for that person and the next week it's kind of in the reverse it was just so it was such a variable every week as to what was going to happen that it made you very interested but at the same time the longer it dragged out especially as an older fan it made you realize this is just an out this is just a cheap way to 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 reason with doing things that they couldn't put a face to yeah you know what i mean because they didn't have a face to it and now, again, and, and even then, all, the, you know, all the years later, you know, oh, it was going to be this person or it was going to be that person. If you ask me, there was no plan as to who it was going to be, you know, and and I think they, I think the way they ended it with having Hornswoggle be announced as the, you know, or unveiled as the general manager, what, three, four years later, it was, hey, we might as well, we might as well, you know, put a bow on this and bury this little chapter in our history because it was silly And it only just got us through the days.
0: That was, like, the equivalent of when, like, they revealed in WCW that Eric Bischoff drove the Hummer to run over Kevin Nash, even though they never really had a plan for that one either. Right.
1: It was like, ah, like, we we just needed to do things that we just couldn't... Tie up some loose ends. Yeah, it was just, it was like, like, you can't, you can't argue the booking of a computer, you know, Mm -hmm. you know what I mean? There's no... it's, and it's not going to hurt anybody. Yeah. Oh, why did so-and-so do that? That's not, that's out of their character. That sounds stupid. You can avoid all those things and, and, and address other issues with a nameless, faceless, you know, authority figure. Uh, my approval rating on it, I'm going to give it a four. I didn't think it was I – th- I thought it started hot. And then just like I said, the longer it went, it just uh, – it became it became a device more than it became an authority figure. And literally a device. It was a fucking laptop. So there you go.
0: <laughs> and yeah, even Edge destroyed the laptop and the GM was back the next week with a brand new
1: laptop. Yeah, so I mean, yeah who explains it? Yeah, <laughs>
0: there was no there was no payoff there. So even yeah. then they
1: challenged the the the, the, the lifeless aspect of yeah. the general manager.
0: And the logic too. Yeah. yeah. I mean, yeah, I would have to agree four, maybe even a five being kind of like I said, the the prospects of, of um who that? Who could have been pulling the strings behind a laptop? I thought were rather interesting. Um, one individual who I thought later on down the line. Could have been the re- the person behind the um, the the anonymous Raw GM, but would eventually have a role as the executive vice president of talent relations for both Raw and SmackDown. Was one John Laurinaitis, Big Johnny. Johnny Ace uh, of uh, Dynamic Dudes fandom. Uh, Johnny Ace or John Laurinaitis? Um, I I thought there was more potential for him as an authority figure to to really branch out and be something different because everyone had kind of taken the formula from like a Vince McMahon or an Eric Bischoff as the evil boss and Laurinaitis had a reputation behind the scenes for not being the the most pleasant to deal with in his role as the executive vice president of talent relations for the WWE and I thought that 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 reputation could have been exploited more especially with the storyline that they had going with CM Punk and you know the, the the mystery of Kevin Nash and who sent him the text to go take out Punk at SummerSlam and all the dots that were needing to be connected I felt Laurinaitis would have been a good person in that role to be the one that was really pulling all the strings because you remember and we we joke about it you know that was the night that you know Pop Pop uh you know uh was was let go by his son in law yeah. you know the big you know relieved of crying. his duties yeah. yeah you know relieved of his du- relieved of his duties, and both of them are crying in the middle of the ring yeah and uh then Laurentus all of a sudden had a had to role as you know executive vice president of talent relations he was running the day to day operations of monday night raw and and uh and and smackdown at the time. I just thought laurens um there was potential for more for him. As much as I enjoyed his character, you know, people power and the motorized scooter and all that stuff, um, you know, his if I'm going to give him an approval rating, I'm going to kind of go four or five wow. with him. I'm going
1: to go higher. I thought I thought John, Johnny Ace, Big Johnny was exactly what I thought Mike Adam Lee was going to be. Just That's, yeah, like I, I remember, said, we talked about that. A doofus, that, yeah. an idiot. Yeah. Like we're gonna we're gonna take his weaknesses and make them positives. Yep. He he's not very eloquent with his words. Yeah. He's he's not very charismatic at all.
0: Yeah.
1: Um. He's not cool. You know. Yeah. None of those things. Not not intimidating. Um. And I think they took that with Johnny, and Johnny. Johnny made that his own. Yep. He was a goofball, and not like in a look at me guys I'm a goofball like he believed in people power yeah. as stupid as that yep. was he believed in what he was doing his character was about Johnny Ace and, and everything he was he was into doing um I would give him I give him a 5 I'd give him, I give. I thought he was a, a lot better than we expected like I said I think that's that was what they could have done with Mike Adam Lee. The
0: mistakes they made with Adam Lee, they corrected. capitalized and corrected. Yeah, it. yeah. 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 With, with John Laurinaitis. Yeah, and I
1: and anyway, I, I like and to be honest, like usually he was a authority figure, Johnny Ace that his like he wasn't involved like a lot of other past authority figures. He wasn't involved in the main storylines as much. Mm-hmm. Like especially after the CM Punk stuff and he, you know, he beat John Cena. Yep. You know, and all that other stuff his, like, authority figure angles were, like, mid-card stuff, you Mm -hmm. know, the stuff with Team Teddy and Team Johnny, they weren't... Zack Ryder. Yeah, they weren't, like, they weren't, um, kicking off Monday Night Raw Segment 1, you know, here's what's gonna happen tonight because I'm the evil boss, it was, they were, they were just, they were, you know, B-level, C-level storylines that didn't matter as much, and... That's probably because of the characters involved, but I think they knew that and were like, this is where it belongs. It doesn't belong as a featured thing because he's the boss. Like, let John Cena and The Rock carry the show, or Triple H, or Seamus, or Daniel Bryan. And let's let this be this little mid-card thing where he's in charge, but, you know, everything else is still kind of moving on on its own. I read an interview with Kevin
0: Nash recently that originally the... um like like I had mentioned earlier, you know, was supposed to be the guy, you know, that was trying to sabotage Triple H's power um, when Triple H's character was, you know, revealed as the chief operating officer that was kind of replacing Vince when he relieved Vince of his of his day to day duties, and right. you know, that was supposed to set up like almost like a new age corporation with you know as the boss, but Miz and um, you know I think Dolph. Our truth and and Nash, were supposed to be a part of that group because you know you remember like I said Nash you know made the return yep. at SummerSlam he stuck Punk gave him the jackknife and it was the the big the big mystery was uh, who sent the text and according to Nash in this interview it was supposed to be Laurinaitis that was the one that sent the text right. but um, Nash's injuries and a health issue caused. Um, him to have to back out of his match with CM Punk and they had to shift storylines up a bit and they didn't really follow through with Laurinaitis as the um as the uh the one behind all of that. It was just kind of very um it wasn't it wasn't planned out. Like they didn't have a good alternate plan. They just kind of like he was there. Right, you know right, right. I mean, there was no like real set plan and I think that kind of spawned off, like you said, into him being involved in more of the mid-card storylines as opposed to the top-of-the-card storylines. But, um, yeah, I mean, 5 five is probably where I'd put Lauren Ice in and the character of, you know, people power uh, when it comes to his tenure as the executive vice president of both Raw and SmackDown. Mm-hmm. Um, all right, it's your turn. Pick somebody on this list and uh, we'll, uh, we'll pick it apart and uh, agree or disagree.
1: I'm going to go with, I think, if we're talking about any authority figure list, I think there's a lot to chew on here and out of respect. Well, we got to go with Eric Bischoff. Oh, yes. Eric Bischoff is, I think, one we have to touch on. Um, I thought he was a better authority figure in the WWE than he was in WCW. That might be my bold statement. I don't know if it is bold, but I would say I thought he was better there than he was in WCW. As shocking as it was for him to be in control in WCW, I thought Eric Bischoff was way better six, seven years later. And and how so? What's your reason? I thought there was it? more range to the character. Again, there was a lot more comedy to him. Mm-hmm. Um, there was a lot more of, uh, you know... Sardines with Mae Young and all that Nonsense like he got His you know he got his Comeuppance more so Um in WCW It was You know he was like The rich kid you know whose dad Left him with the credit card You know ATM Eric I know they called him that But like you know, his, you know His rich parents were You know on yachts all the time and he was at the you know, he was on the compound driving all the fancy cars and having the nice big parties with his friends and the keggers and, you know, Hollywood Hogan and... The You know RR what I mean? RR like, yep. not, you know, he, outside, you know, I will say his his stuff with Larry Zbysko was a big deal, you know, heading into yes. Starcade, That was a feature match yes. that a lot of people wanted to see, so I give him credit for that. But um, outside of that, he, I mean, for crying out loud, he beat Ric Flair. Like, come but you on. don't think that stuff with Flair was good? I thought it was good, but, like, that would be the time for Ric Flair to get his, you know, to give Bischoff what he deserved. Like, where was the payoff? The to next those night, things? you
0: don't. Know, well, I mean, you might not remember, but Flair beat him and became the president of WCW. That was the famous uh, promo that he cut where he took all his clothes off and ripped $100 bills and, and uh, handcuffed yeah, them no, to yeah, the ring Yeah, no, yeah, I, 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 I can't so, say I mean, that I
1: remember that completely, but, like... I guess you can call that the payoff. Yeah, but, like... Why couldn't it have happened the night before? I guess I'm splitting yeah, so okay, hairs in no, so man. many ways, you know what I mean? But, like, Barrett Bischoff's not a wrestler. No, no. So he shouldn't not. be... I know, I know the guy can do taekwondo or karate or whatever nonsense is out there. <laughs> I. But the... Wrestle, like, you don't know how to wrestle. I don't care how tough you are. You know what I mean? That's kind of one of the old, the golden rules. I think J.J. Dillon, another authority figure, i mentioned that on, like, a... On a Legends of Wrestling roundtable, he learned that from Eddie Graham. J.J. Dillon was a former wrestler before he became a manager, and as a manager, he was out there for someone in Florida Championship Wrestling, and you know, hit a spot or did a certain thing a certain way. And Eddie Graham said, "Don't you ever do that ever again." Really? And he said, "Well, what do you mean?" He was like, "Wrestlers manage," or he said, "Managers manage like wrestlers." Uh, uh, hold on, I gotta, I gotta say this correctly. He, he said. That you manage like a wrestler and you wrestle like a manager. Interesting. You know, and, and Bobby Heenan was a, exemplified that too. Yeah. And that you could sit there and call the plays from the apron like you know how to do it. Yep. And you would be right. That's why you're such a great manager. Yeah. But when it comes time to taping up your fist and going out there and having a match, you're not a wrestler. You know what I mean? So I thought Eric Bischoff defied those rules a little bit. I can... I can get
0: behind that theory and that logic, um, because I think it, it, it presents itself, um, uh, a good presentation, but at the same time, um, there's also the, the, the thought and the idea of the, you kind of brought it up with Bischoff, like the, the rich kid who mom and dad left the credit card, very full of himself, um, thinks his shit doesn't th- stink. Um, the delusional factor of thinking that he's tough, even though he's not tough. And I think that's what they, I think even though they didn't come out and say it in so many words, I think that's what they tried to accomplish with Bischoff in that he's so cocky. He's so full of himself. He thinks he can beat Ric Flair. He thinks he can beat Larry Zabisco. And it doesn't come across like he's athletically gifted to do so. But in his mind, yeah, that's true. I'll and, give you that. And JJ Dillon did the same thing in preparation for the first war games. The Horsemen put him on TV and had him wrestle a couple of enhancement talents and JJ looked like he was Tully Blanchard in there, you know, beating guys pillar to post, but the perception that they were trying to um they were trying to deliver to you as a viewer on this, on the television screen was that, you know, JJ was preparing himself for war, even though he isn't as skilled and as gifted as the other four horsemen. Um, it was sort of looked at as very laughable but in a way that's going to get him the heat that he needs to go into that match yeah so i think that's
1: what they were t- i'm just playing devil's advocate i don't that's, know for no, sure you, i think i that, think you're right in many
0: ways i think that's what they were trying to accomplish with Bischoff in the sense yeah
1: i think you're right in many ways but i definitely sense and maybe this is just kind of the the overall perception that people have about WCW and all the you know the, the decisions made there but mm-hmm. There was really never a real like a real payoff to Eric Bischoff as an authority figure, and I feel like all the talk you've put in now you got to back it up. And while he, yeah, he, you know, the stuff with Larry Zbysko was good, but again, Ric Flair, like, I don't know. I just felt like it wasn't. There's are some times when things there needs to be like a definitive end to a character, and, yeah. and that I feel like is a good time. Not that he needed to be killed off, but like, Mm -hmm. all right, you've maxed out a little bit, take a back seat. I, I,
0: I mean, you know, WCW was always known for a lot of their inconsistency in storytelling, and I try to rationalize some of the creative decisions that they've made over the years because I liked a lot of WCW stuff, um... I will say I do agree with you that I think Bischoff's character as an authority figure that like that needed to there needed to be some finality to that character um You know, we just kind of briefly mentioned it. He beat Flair. But then the next night, Flair challenges him for control of the company, and Flair beats him. And the stipulation was Flair would be WCW president, I think, for like 30 or 90 days or something like that. And Bischoff was going to work for him. So he made Bischoff mop the floors. He made Bischoff drive him in his limo. He made Bischoff the commentator. The famous, one of my favorite moments, um... During the finger poke of doom, and I know it's not a lot of people's favorite moments, one of my guilty pleasures was the entire evening... On nitro in that three hours, Flair forced Bischoff to sit in commentary and do his job as a commentator. And Bischoff didn't say one word the entire night until the NWL reunited and they pulled the wool over Goldberg's eyes, and Bischoff wouldn't yeah. shut the fuck up yeah. after that. And he was doing the sound effects of the of the, the, the stun gun, the cattle prod to Goldberg yep. You know, and the and the spray paint noise like over you know when they were spray painting Goldberg like that stuff was funny and then Bischoff, like I said, Flair became president long term, and Bischoff's character just kind of faded away and then I remember, in like the spring and summer of ninety nine um Bischoff came back and it wasn't really mentioned what his role was other than he had an office position with WCW, and then he just started doing commentary with, like, Shivani and Bobby Heenan on Nitro, and there was no real, like, explanation. A few months prior, like, you and the NWO tried to end Ric Flair's life, (laughs) and now, you know, you're back on commentary? Like, you aren't the president anymore. What are you doing here? Why are you here, sort of thing. Like, so they... I think that, like you said, there needed to be an end to him as the boss, and they didn't, they didn't execute that very well yeah. if they
1: thought they did. Yeah, like he, as the bully or the, you know, the, the, the shit talker to the bully, you know, the bully being the NWO, you know, he's that little runt, that little pipsqueak kind yeah. of just chirping up, chirping up. Yep. Like, there's a time for him to take his beating and then to go home. Yeah. You know what I mean? You know, if we're going to simplify the the, the analogy. um, And I don't think we ever got that. So, but, and I think that's, again, all things equal compared to, like I said, his WWF run. I think that would be the negative compared to his WWF run, or WWE run, excuse me. Um, But with that being said, though, I thought, you know, he was in many ways the original heel authority figure. he was. You know, he talks about it to this day, but... A lot of what was done with Vince McMahon, Mr. McMahon, was taking elements of it from Eric Bischoff, yeah. and it, you can't ignore that in history as what happens even to this day. Yeah. So for that, I'm gonna put Eric Bischoff as a as an authority figure, body of work. His impact, I think, was more with WCW, although I think his stuff was creatively. Yeah, it was yeah, better, it was better WWE. at WWE. I think overall body of work, top to bottom, I'm going to give him an 8.5. That's
0: interesting. I'm okay. going to give
1: him an 8.5. I, 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 I don't want to take away or discredit
0: his run in TNA. I know that you know a lot of people probably have forgotten about it, but his reputation behind the scenes um, was something that, similar to what I discussed with Vince Russo, was portrayed on camera when him and Hulk Hogan were the, like, the... I don't even know what their what their job title was in TNA, but they were the bosses, right. and they came in and shook things up, and their reputation of ATM Eric and, you know, creative control Hulk Hogan uh, came into play in TNA and kind of shook things up with some of the newer guys in wrestling, like the AJ Styles and the Bobby Roods and, you know, Kurt Angle, and, and they brought a mixture of old and new, but... They, the formula that they had, they were trying to to recreate what they did on Nitro and WCW years prior. And the TNA audience, I think, didn't really accept that very well. But I will say, as bad as some of that stuff was, going back and watching it, and I remember watching some of that stuff too, The Bischoff, regardless of how bad the creative was... The audience still reacted to him when he came out. The audience still, you know, booed him when he made decisions that they didn't like, you know. Same thing with Hogan, too. Like I said, their friendship, their real-life friendship, and the reputation the two of them had working together in WCW drew a lot of heat with their characters yeah. within W. Where I'm sorry, TNA. Um, but his WWE body of work, creatively, I thought was really good stuff. And, uh, like I said, the shock factor of him coming out and hugging vince mcmahon and like i said positively like it just like creatively it was a shot in the arm to the product that definitely needed it at that time and in my opinion i was really disappointed in the i know you said that his character needed in some closure in wcw as the boss but i felt like in wwe that three-year run like i thought it was I thought he could have gone a little bit longer. I thought that there could have been more done with his character. Maybe as a manager. Maybe they moved him over to SmackDown or something. He was the Raw GM at the time. But, I mean... I, 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 Doug Bischoff, I'm a Bischoff guy, I listen to his podcast, I think he doesn't get enough credit for what he's contributed to the industry, both behind the scenes and in front of the camera, and I think a lot of the negative aspects of his reputation kind of take over some of the positives that he's contributed to wrestling, amongst wrestling fans.
1: Oh, absolutely, I, I would I would definitely say that, I think um, he's probably the one GM I know I'd said earlier that, um, that I wasn't, and probably am not still a fan of, like, Repeat, you know, second terms, if you will. Yeah. Uh, amongst authority figures, you know, having a second go around, you know, on TV as an authority figure. But I would probably amend that just for Eric Bischoff. I think he is savvy enough. And again, I listen to his podcast too. You know, I, I've been, a, uh, you know, I think he's, his contributions to the business have been in, invaluable. I think he's savvy enough to navigate and execute um, an authority figure in 2018 that would fit and be and be done well. Yeah. So, you know, if you're asking me a guy who I think could do it again and do it well, whether it's 20 years ago or today, I think Eric Bischoff is probably at the top of that list of guys that I would I would ask, I would call back. I think,
0: sure. I, I think that statement rings true um, on a number of levels, and one of the reasons why I think he could make a, uh, a positive contribution as a, a wrestling authority figure on today's television is, uh, if you go back to the, the Raw 25th anniversary special earlier this year from the Barclays Center in Brooklyn, uh, when they did that roll call of all the prior general manager's authority figures mm-hmm. on the stage, Bischoff got probably, arguably, the, the loudest reaction Maybe next to Daniel Bryan when it came to all those guys that had assumed that role on Monday Night Raw over the years. And I think that's a testament to what he contributed as a character as well as the audience's respect for um, him as the performer.
1: Definitely, yeah. And I think his role in, in the business today is to kind of be that reminder of while we are very desensitized to a product like WWE's. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's just... It's Coca-Cola, you know what I mean? It is what it is. Um, he gets the... He, he respectfully inserts that reminder that, you know what? There's a different way of doing things. It could have been different. Um, and here's why... Here's how I contributed to what you see today. And, you know what? That's a guy that could be very valuable to a wrestling company to this day, I think. You know, not necessarily in a, in a carte blanche manner, but in a very creative advisory role. Um, because I think he's, he could certainly be that sounding board for a Vince McMahon. That's a great idea, Vince, but what about this? Yeah, You know what I mean? You know, he had an entire formula that was literally operating under, the, uh, you know, under opposition to WWF. Um, so in that sense, he knows how to think in that way. I think he would be a great value to, to, the, to the WWE for sure, more so than he would be outside where he could potentially recreate things that he's already done.
0: Interesting, very, very interesting. Um, I do want to shift the conversation just a little bit to some of these names on the list. We don't have to give them official... Kicking out it to approval ratings, but these are some of the individuals on this list that I feel um, were very uh, underwhelming in the role as an authority figure. Some that were just very not very memorable, uh, and I'll go through a few of them right now. Ernest the Cat Miller was the commissioner of WCW at one point during the New Blood Millionaires mm-hmm. Club storyline. As as funny as his character was, um, I just didn't really buy him as the commissioner. Um, I don't know what's your take on Ernest the Cat Miller.
1: I remember liking it, uh, or at least liking the prospect of it. Kind of like you know, anytime as a new person introduced, it's it's this optimism of change of pace, this reset of sorts. Um, and I always liked him. He was cool. He was smooth. Um, and I thought that would have been a great you know place for a guy of his caliber to be. More so than he was in the ring, he wasn't a really great wrestler at all. Um, <laughs> no, but uh, but as a character, I thought he definitely brought value, and I thought that was a great place to put him. Even then, as a younger fan, I was able to go, well, you know what? He doesn't do all that stuff great in the ring, but he could talk. He could piss people off. He's. Cool, like I said, he had this, he had yeah. this like cool vibe to him that made that, yeah. And he's got style, and, mm-hmm. and he could put a suit on. That's usually kind of a typical, uh, you know, characteristic of a of an authority figure. Can can the guy wear a suit? Yeah, yeah. And I thought Ern- Ernest Miller could have done that. Oh, he dressed, he, he dressed yeah, he, the dressed, nines for yeah sure. he dressed to impress. So I think yeah. he he checked a lot of the aesthetic boxes, uh, but you know, it just didn't land. I think like many things at WCW, the way it should have. Not that it was gonna be, you know. Hitting home runs, but it certainly wasn't memorable. Let's put it that way.
0: Yeah, uh, another not so memorable authority figure. Um, I don't even remember what his job title was, but he was uh, he was kind of like uh, a second to Eric Bischoff, and then even uh, Vince McMahon at one point. Uh, Jonathan Coachman,
1: John the coach. Um, not impressed as the boss uh, or the guy delivering uh, the orders. I should say. I, yeah, I, I. It was. I think it was meant to just be like a doofusy character for a heel Bischoff or McMahon to play off of mm-hmm. you know what I mean and he's certainly in the way of get you know taking the beat down or taking whatever punishment was handed his way en route to a Bischoff or a McMahon you think about Steve Austin DX kind of they had, as silly as it's going to sound they had to go through Jonathan Coachman first in some way whether it was storming storming the office and, and beating him up or you know you know throwing him out of the ring or whatever but you know Jonathan Coachman played that role and I thought he was I thought it was it was a nice little armchair, little little side cart. You know, if there's a little motorcycle, he's in the side cart while mm-hmm. Vince or Eric Bischoff is 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 is, is steering the wheel.
0: Okay, uh, another person who seconded Eric Bischoff in uh, in uh, WWE when he
1: was Raw General Manager was uh, Chief Morley. Mm, yeah, I, I I I'm gonna sound you can for former Val Venis. Mm, yeah, you wanna wear. I loved Val Venus, so I just didn't. Yeah, I didn't buy it so starkly and so, so just, it might as well have, I don't know. I didn't, it didn't Didn't sit well with me, so drastic change. I, I don't know, I don't really have a lot on that one. I know he probably served the same purpose as the coach did, but it didn't really, didn't really do it for me.
0: You might disagree with this one, but <laughs> I was not a fan of Commissioner Sergeant Slaughter. Um, just didn't, uh, I mean,
1: I don't know, I just... I wasn't. It just didn't do it for me. I mean, he was more. He was he was better in his role when he was being made fun of. He was like when the precursor to Johnny Ace. When he was the third stooge with Briscoe. And no, Patterson. no, no, no. Like the stuff with DX and Triple H and yeah. Shawn Michaels and uh-huh. the spits the the, the, the spit, spit shield, shields the chin and, and...
0: and yeah,
1: like he wasn't interesting until then. You yeah. know what I mean? Like so, but you know, what? but he was not meant to be a bad guy either. So. He wasn't. If, if you had to give an approval rating, you know, if we're gonna, you know, live in the world of kayfabe, bud, guy did a pretty poor job. You know yeah. what I mean, he 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 uh, he ordered China to be handcuffed to him at WrestleMania fourteen so that she couldn't help Triple H beat Owen Hart, and, and then kept, she still helps. She him still helped him beat Owen like. The worst, the like terrible. So I'm gonna give him. She throws the powder, or the salt in his face. There's powder everywhere. The black mats are yeah.
0: like covered in powder, and he didn't even reverse that. And thing. he's wearing all black too. I, and if and... I were Owen Hart, I'd have be been like, "What the fuck are you doing? Yeah, like, like, she just threw powder in your the face." The
1: worst authority figure, just the like. He's like the Michael Scott of authority figures, <laughs> like. Except he's not cool. He's not funny. He's not likable. He's Sarge. The worst. Like he would be like. She, like, I don't know, I was just watching Stripes the other night. He definitely was, you know, like, that's Sergeant Slaughter as a commissioner. <laughs> All right, that's the that's a, that's a,
0: you said uninteresting, boring?
1: Yeah, I'm going to give him a two. That's my, about, that's uh, my approval rating
0: for Sergeant Slaughter. How about Nick Bockwinkle in WCW? Um, This was, this was during a time period where, um... I, I forget how long... I think Bockwinkel's character on television was in power for maybe
1: about a year or two. Gonna, um, around the, the time Hogan got there, right? Yeah, like
0: before Hogan. He yeah. definitely was the, the, the figurehead boss before Hogan got there. Kind of had a Jack Tunney kind of vibe where he was there for the important decisions. But... Um, some of the decisions that his character made were, you know, really made you scratch your head. Like, all right, for instance, and we're going to cover this down the line on a future episode of Kicking Out It, too, but at Spring Stampede 1994. It was Vader going up against the boss who was known as the Big Boss Man, Ray Trailer, okay? That's what he was referred to as in WCW. They didn't want to call him Big Bubba? No. Or, yeah, because he was Big Bubba previously, before his <laughs> and big boss man run. And after, yeah, exactly. So he was known as the boss and he basically had the same look as he did in the WWF, except his, he wore all black, and he had th- he had the nightstick, and it didn't say Big Boss Man on the tag; it just said the Boss, and some. Some shenanigans took place in the match. Vader's uh, uh, manager was Harley Race. He got involved, and uh, boss man, boss, Bubba, whatever you want to call him, uh, used the nightstick on Vader, and it caused a disqualification. And in the back, Nick Bockwinkle punished him by declaring that you you are no longer allowed to refer yourself refer to yourself as the boss here oh. in WCW. Basically, he said, you need to go find a new name, and he took away his nightstick from him. At, at 11 years old, I thought that was the biggest pile of horse shit I'd ever <laughs> heard in my entire life.
1: It's like, how can you take away someone's name? That was like, um, going back to my boy Adam Lee, when Kane had the mask, walking around with the mask, and because like, they were promoting that um, that No Evil movie, and they had like the mask in the case.
0: Oh yeah yeah and yeah, everyone
1: yeah. was talking about how Kane was going to wear the mask again and how he was going to like oh they need to freshen up his character he's going to put the mask on and they I just remember a segment you know where he brings Kane into his office and he's just like now Kane we cannot have you walking around with this mask we can't have children <laughs> going to school wearing a Kane mask it just would look poor for our sponsors and then it's just like that's it the mask is gone and then eventually like demon or you know fake Kane or you know came through and but I was like that what like that's your rationale? Like he just has a mask. What if the dude carries a mask? Yeah. And, and another another uh,
0: baffling Nick Bockwinkle moment as his. I don't even know if he was the president or the, the the head of the executive championship committee or something like that. I don't know exactly what the what the role was, but. Uh, when they did the contract signing for Hogan and Flair at Bash at the Beach, 1994, they made it a big deal. You know, Gene MC'd the thing, but then they introduced Bill Shaw, who was the president of WCW. Then they introduced Eric Bischoff, who was the executive vice president of WCW. Then they had Ted Turner, who owned WCW out. And then there's fucking little Nick Bockwinkle, who we were made to think was the boss yeah. all this time, standing in the back doing nothing except looking like a fucking uh, cigar store Indian statue. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, I just thought it was like... Well, that was the end of that. Yeah, exactly. I don't even, I don't remember what Bach... I think Bachwinkle... He was still around because I remember he did something with Vader and Vader kind of roughed him up a little bit, and uh, there was nothing that really came of it. Like yeah, he didn't spend yeah. Vader, he didn't like punish him or anything. He just said, you know, you're gonna go have your match against so and so, which what they kind of do now. Like a poor like goes like a poor man's girl a monsoon. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, with with, with no personality really. Uh, another uh, un, you know, another forgettable authority figure. I don't know what his what his job title was. I believe he was Raw General Manager. He might have had a. Couple Couple different job titles, but Brad Maddox uh, didn't really care for him. Didn't really see what he brought to the table. Um, the only kind of intrigue that I that I uh, had with his character was. The stuff he was doing with Paul Heyman when they had the uh, the controversy surrounding uh, Heyman's affiliation with the Shield yep. during that CM Punk world title reign and Maddox was kind of involved in that a little bit. That's about all I cared <laughs> when it came. You know, I, I, cared about I, I liked Brad it, Maddox,
1: I liked it for the same reason that I said it. Like a lot of general manager changes, is because it was like, all right, something new, something fresh, and he definitely had that. Constable Corbin Cyrus type of you know mm-hmm. dislike of just and he and he certainly had the look yeah this little just smarmy little punk yeah that's just his, he's kind of got the keys to the kingdom and doesn't know what to do with it except whatever he wants yeah um lasted about as long as it should have so I don't you know I wasn't disappointed to see it end but I, I liked it I thought the guy was had a you know you know some ability and to 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 be entertaining. So from the, you know, if I'm gonna put an approval rating on that, I'll i I'll give that one a five. I think that's a good five. Really interesting. Like okay. it's not bad, but he didn't do anything memorable. And the last one for me is as far as forgettable
0: authority figures, he was an executive on the WCW Championship Committee, former manager of the Four Horsemen, we mentioned him earlier, J J. Dillon. Um JJ Dillon I thought was kind of a softy. <laughs> um he had some memorable moments when it came to uh, yeah watch yourself there. <laughs> he had some memorable moments when it came to the stuff he did with Jericho when Jericho had that storyline with Malenko and he was kind of ducking and dodging Malenko in the Cruiserweight Championship but JJ Dillon I felt like and looking back on it now when when Bischoff when the Bischoff character wasn't there to you know delegate authority that was when J.J. J. Dillon would step in. I mean, don't get me wrong. Him and Bischoff had their moments where they butted heads on TV, you know, fighting for control and power. But, you know... I thought as a as a teenager, it was baffling that Eric Bischoff worked for WCW, but was trying to destroy the company that he worked for with the NWO, and that Dylan and the executive committee and Harvey Schiller, who made an appearance, who was the president of Turner Sports
1: at one time. He, I think now he works for the Yankees or maybe the Olympics. I think he's part of the he, Olympic committee. I feel like I heard he's yeah he he's still definitely a, a heavy hitter in the sports world for sure. i do not exactly what but he I was is. like but baffled the Olympics that those right. guys
0: like Didn't fire Bischoff and Dylan just I felt like was like a replacement in many ways when Bischoff wasn't there. It's like all right, we'll bring JJ Dylan out. Right. It it felt like as a kid, like JJ Dylan only like sanctioned um, big or sanctioned you know big decisions in
1: WCW when Bischoff wasn't there. But he did it in a way. I feel like he did it in a way that was like because it was such a heel dominated company. Mm -hmm. uh, It was like all right, we gotta get the baby faces over like. how can we do that in a logical way that doesn't circumvent Eric Bischoff?
0: Yeah.
1: Let's throw J.J. J. J. Dillon out there. Like, you know, probably the most famous of his you know declarations was booking Goldberg and Hollywood Hogan. Ain't seen Eric Bischoff do that for his boy, you know? Yeah. So it made perfect sense to have J.J. J. Dillon deliver that message. And yeah. I think that's kind of the role he played when it didn't when you couldn't find ways to make sense of getting a baby face over which is weird because you've got this like big ring where you can like have <laughs> matches and baby faces can win sometimes yeah. hard to believe but they can uh when it wasn't when that didn't seem to be an option let's go get JJ Dillon out there and make a declaration you know that was in favor of yeah. of of the of the good guys all right
0: we uh we've covered the worst of the worst uh, we've covered a lot of really good ones we've agreed we've disagreed um Let's round this out here with a few more uh, before we we, we we go home, as they say in the business. Uh, nature Boy Ric Flair. Uh, he was the president of World Championship Wrestling. I mentioned earlier he defeated Eric Bischoff the night after Starcade and that eventually became the full-time president. Um He ended up uh, losing his tenure as president when Rowdy Roddy Piper, who was, you know, fluctuating in and out of the executive championship committee in world championship wrestling, uh, had him committed to the insane asylum. (laughs) Um, And Flair didn't... uh, and his role as an authority figure there as he became the co owner of the World Wrestling Federation after he had bought the consortium from Shane and Stephanie McMahon not too long after the Alliance storyline. Um talk to me a little bit about Ric Flair as the as an authority figure in wrestling history.
1: I always felt like he was like in transition all the time. I would compare him and, and the brief Authority run that Hulk Hogan had with TNA. Like, he was always doing something to get to somewhere. Um, Be it the the, the angle with Bischoff in WCW, or even, you know, Flair, the angle with Vince to then get him to WrestleMania. Like, where he faced The Undertaker, where they had to strip him of his authority figure role, and then he got it back, and it was just... He was always in this state of flux that just didn't really allow him to be a really good authority figure or a really bad one. Yeah. I have no doubt in my mind, Ric Flair had the chops to be as good as any of them. You know what I mean? But he wasn't really there to kind of and I don't think there was any long term um idea to make him the face of a brand in that sense. So Yeah. I think, you know, if I'm giving an approval, I'm giving him a five only because he didn't do enough and he didn't do any, you know, good or bad. He was, he was, I would say he was more, yeah, yeah. And, you know, and again, like, I I don't think, once you realize how good he was as a general manager or as an authority figure, at least, you know, how entertaining he was, then you didn't want him to be a general manager. You didn't want him to be a president. You wanted to move on to be one of the greats in the ring and, and, you know, be Slick Rick. So, yeah, I, I think he just, he didn't do enough good or bad to be really anything memorable, so I'm giving him a five
0: yeah i would i would have to agree i mean he um you always had that feeling that like all right well, like you said earlier, like a guy come a, a former wrestler takes a a position like that as the boss on t v it's like well when's he going to get back in the ring? how are they setting this up right and i always had that with flair it, with the exception of um two thousand and one after they had bought w c w because I was still kind of that mindset that like You know, the World Wrestling Federation wasn't going to use a lot of the older guys from WCW in featured roles, and I thought that that was something perfect for Flair. Um, I was wrong, as Flair would go on to do some pretty decent stuff in that WWE run before he retired in 2008. Uh, So, I mean, at the time, I I was like, well, he's done. He may have a match here and there, but... I'm not counting on it, and he eventually did, you know, the stuff he did with Evolution, Undertaker, his eventual retirement with with Shawn Michaels. Um, On the other half of that uh, co-ownership of the World Wrestling Federation is Vince McMahon, and we'll touch upon him in just a moment, but let's talk about other members of the McMahon family. The Authority, Stephanie and Triple H, Shane McMahon, uh, who's not a part of The Authority. They've had on-again, off-again roles being in charge uh, over WWE programming And the storylines for a number of years uh, Where do you rate Shane, uh, let's start with Shane McMahon
1: As an authority figure, where do you rate him? This is probably gonna Crucify me on on all the, 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 the Talking blog boards But I don't think he was that great of an authority figure I Thought he was a, a two or a three, he wasn't anything special He didn't do anything, you know he was definitely more of a good sidekick when he was with his dad, and yep. you know the attitude era than he was. All right, you know here's I run this show, I run this. You know I I will say with that being said, his kind of relaxed role as a commissioner of SmackDown Live currently, I think is where he's best fit because as an attraction, the the attraction that Shane can be, um, sporadic insertion into to roles into storylines, I think is more more his his uh speed right now. Mm-hmm. Um so yeah, I'm gonna give him a two or three. I don't okay. think he was anything special.
0: Now how about uh I'm not even gonna count Linda McMahon because Linda McMahon was like Jack Tunney with a vagina. Like she came in for the <laughs> for the important moments and that was about it. But she didn't do anything that like really, you know, set the world on fire when it comes to her uh her, her role as an authority figure. She she really took a step back and didn't have any significant. um, She didn't
1: have the chops to be on camera and that's fine. That's not for
0: everybody. So it's, you know, I'm not going to really count her, but, uh, the authority, Stephanie and triple H, which was basically the, the modern day version of the corporation.
1: Uh, I think Stephanie is definitely up there in the, uh, I'll give her an 8.5. I think she's got the performance quality that her father has. Uh, to go out there and 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 be the most hated person in the company. She's probably the top heel in the company if you think um, about it. At any one moment, she is. If she's you know, she may not be there for a little while, but the moment when she comes back, she's she's the baddest person in the company. Um, you know, the most disliked. That is Triple H. You know, this, this record speaks for itself as far as being one of the great heels in the history of the business. And I think for him to put that into a non wrestling role, I think he's transitioned well into that. You know, while he still wrestles, but. That authority figure role, I think we're just getting started with that. You know, this is the guy who's going to be taking over the ship for years to come, and plenty of opportunities to see where that character goes. But I, I think it, from where he is right now, you know, I'll give him an approval of seven for now, knowing that it could be, it could, it could, it could, it could uh, break my rule and be a ten okay. later down the road because he's got so much time left to do so much.
0: Interesting. Now. Before we get to Vince, uh, I might get crucified for not mentioning this individual's name when it comes to uh, 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 prior authority figures. But Paul Heyman, uh, we didn't—we kind of touched upon him briefly when it came to his uh, his role as SmackDown GM when he was drafted to Monday Night Raw and working for Eric Bischoff. Uh, Paul Heyman of course, you know, most known for being the owner and operator of the original Extreme Championship Wrestling ECW, uh eventually having to sell that to Vince McMahon and the WWE and Heyman eventually coming on board. Uh he was the GM I believe in the fall of 2003, I wanna say October or November of 2003. Maybe it was October. October of 2003, he became the, the SmackDown general manager after Vince had fired or beaten his daughter Stephanie in that I Quit match at No Mercy. And uh, he quit in March of 2004 after he was drafted to Raw and forced to work for Eric Bischoff. Um Heyman, like I said, most known for his time as the owner of ECW. Obviously, current day, he's the the advocate for Brock Lesnar on WWE TV. He's managed CM Punk. He had a run as a manager in the Dangerous Alliance and WCW. Um, Heyman, even though like even though his run as SmackDown GM was short, uh I I I don't know. I, I I dig Paul Heyman. So like in any kind of role, whether he's a commentator, a manager, or a, a general manager, or an authority figure, I feel like he excels in all of those. I'm not saying that he's God's gift to wrestling, and I know that's going <laughs> to put me on the, the the crucifixion when it comes to all the marks at the, on the message board. But talk to me a little bit about Paul Heyman as the SmackDown general manager and as an authority figure. Was it was was his time as a SmackDown GM enough or? was there more to be exposed with him as the No, boss? I think it
1: was definitely enough. I thought he did well. Um I think I think his speed is more being an advocate or a manager. Even mm. I think you know if we had to rank his best roles, I think you put him as a manager number 1. I think he's uber talented on commentary number 2 and I think his authority figure role is the less of the three. Um very good. Um just not as good as the other roles and I think he he definitely got out of it what I think he could have I don't think he uh I don't think he held back on anything I think that's you could always revisit it and be you know out of the it for the sake of freshness but I'm not I'm not knocking down the door to see Paul Heyman run Raw or Smackdown or anything like that anytime soon you know he's he's a, he in himself is an attraction so you know Paul Heyman every week probably isn't the Paul Heyman we all want to see. Yeah,
0: uh, like I said, I was I was really um, chomping at the bit of the prospects of of him having to be like Bischoff's sidekick or like working for Bischoff at that time um, in 2004. And ironically enough, like so his character quits and they had to name Kurt Angle the GM of SmackDown. But then. A few weeks later, they write off Kurt Angle's character when Big Show throws him off the ledge. Oh, yeah. And then Paul Heyman was like the GM for one night. It was like, what is the logic in that? He just quit. Like, why are you going to bring him back for a night? But yeah.
1: uh, Well, they got to find use while he's collecting his severance or something, right? <laughs> or maybe he wasn't getting a severance. He quit. Who knows? Yeah. Ironclad contract, right? All right.
0: And now we've reached the. Um, I wouldn't say we saved the best for last, but certainly probably the most talked about authority figure in wrestling history, and that's the the guy who still runs the guy who still runs the ship in the WWE, and that's Vince McMahon. Um oh, man. the one guy who you know, um, like we said, Bischoff really created the formula of the 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 evil boss, but Vince, I would say like. He perfected the recipe. He's the one that really—he's uh, he, the one that, that that finished writing the book on it.
1: Yeah, I'm, you're not going to get any disagreement from me out of this. I think you know he was one half of what we can both say is probably the greatest rivaler in the history of, you know, at least the WWE, if not sports entertainment as a whole. You know, with with Steve Austin and, and that had everything to do with his dominant heel authority figure role. Um, you know, everyone talks about, oh, everybody wants to punch their boss in the face and everybody wants to flip their boss off. Well, that boss was Vince McMahon. So without a doubt, I think, um, you know, I'll put him in the 9.5 area. I'm putting him pretty up there because like you said, he perfected what Bischoff kind of scratched the surface on. Mm -hmm. Um, and to this day, when Vince McMahon makes his presence known, the ground shakes, (laughs) so it's and that that is there that is so many meanings to it that it just regardless of how you want to shake it, it it something's gonna happen when Vince McMahon you know and that and that no chance theme music barrels through the arena Vince McMahon is is probably I would say maybe the the greatest authority figure of all time because he can be the authority figure yesterday today he'll probably be alive in ten years he could be the authority figure in ten years and he will. Know how to put pull it off and execute it in a way that makes you either love him or hate him.
0: I will give him this. I mean, we could talk about all his past accolades, but you, you make a great point there. He can come back and, and and fill that role, and you know, it's like riding a bike again. You know. Yep. Um, he kind of did that a few years ago with with. Uh... Roman Reigns Uh, Roman Reigns as as many of you fans know is a as they like to say in WWE a polarizing figure and and I hate that term but um, he uh they were trying to make him uh you know the number one good guy the hero and they brought out the big guns they brought Vince to do it yep. you know you and i were in boston that night mm-hmm. for tlc when the match started he was main eventing against Sheamus. and they Troubles were booing are- that match they yeah they were booing that match it was to the point where if i could describe what it was like to be in the arena for that match Picture yourself sitting in a bar watching a sporting event on a television screen, and people are just talking amongst themselves as this event is going on. That's what it felt like being in the arena when Roman Reigns and Sheamus were wrestling, and it was almost disrespectful to the performers that were trying to entertain all of us, but that's what it felt like. People were just kind of talking amongst themselves. You got your occasional oohs and ahs and boos and cheers, but for the most part, people weren't as invested into the match, and... The end of that night rolls around, Roman Reigns loses, they bring out Triple H and Stephanie to to kind of intervene and get involved, and you see the Roman Reigns that, in my opinion, I feel needs to be more exploited, and that's that, that badass that just... Takes shit from nobody and just beats people up. Less is more when it comes to mm-hmm. him, in my opinion. And I think that's what WWE is missing on—kind of giving him that Goldberg mystique in, in many yeah. ways. And so Reigns just tore everybody up. He beat the shit out of Triple H, and that arena went from hating him 25 minutes prior to at the end of the night, everyone's chanting Roman, Roman, Roman. Like,
1: but even more so the following evening yes, when he won the championship.
0: That's I'm at, yeah,
1: yeah, he—you know—Vince McMahon inserted. Himself into that that title match in Philadelphia where he was booed mercifully a year year prior prior, at the Royal Rumble, and they're cheering for him. Yeah, Um, and then I think many people, myself included, you know, kind of were victims of the moment and said they did it, they actually pulled it off. And you have Vince McMahon to thank for that. And I think one thing that I think Vince did that I like, I kind of complained about Bischoff not doing a WCW, and this is probably a part of the perfection of the role. So Vince McMahon, more so than anybody in the business, is not afraid to get his comeuppance. No. He's shaved, he's shaved his head. He's had shit poured on him. Yep. He's had piss poured yep. on him. He's been blown up in limousines. Yep. He's done it all because everybody knows that he's sending the fans home happy if he's getting what he gets coming to him.
0: I will say that the one thing, like you said, we all were like, wow, they did it. They got him over. They they they, they, they turned him into you know the hero that they wanted him to be in Philadelphia of all places, but I think where they messed up following that was trying to go that McMahon Austin formula, and doing some of the things that Vince McMahon did with someone like a Steve Austin, like for instance that was right around the time they were heading into the Royal Rumble, Mm -hmm. and they did that whole, you know Roman Reigns is gonna I thought this was a cool idea Roman Reigns defending the WWE Championship against 29 other guys in the Royal Rumble match I thought that was cool, and I liked that idea but there were certain elements in the buildup that i think kind of turned fans off where you saw very similar um vince mcmahon stone cold steve austin kind of storytelling like when vince pulled the the lottery tumbler out mm-hmm. and every number was number one yeah
1: it was too blatant yeah. like they just literally Pulled the, they reopened the book and flipped it up a couple yeah. hundred pages and were like, that.
0: And I think that's where they lost the audience. And then, of course, we all know heading into that Royal Rumble, it was back to We Hate Roman again. And yeah. I think that was because of some of the, the creative decisions that they that they put themselves in. I think short term, it worked. And Vince, like I said, he's a fucking genius at times. Um, I, I do think he's lost touch in, in many ways in, in later years. But at, in that moment, it worked you know, the Mr. McMahon character getting Roman Reigns over in cities of, of like a like a Philadelphia in a, a very rough northeast wrestling town, but um the follow up after that I just thought um they they weren't you know trying to they should have been trying to reinvent the wheel creatively. Right, they right. They wanted right. to keep the, the momentum going for a Roman Reigns. Instead everyone was like, Jesus Christ, this is nineteen ninety nine all over again and yeah. nobody wanted to see that anymore. Oh no I opinion. agree. I agree. But, um
1: that's probably why I'd give him a 9.5. You know, he, he can't... You know, he was able to do it, but he couldn't harness it as long as I think we all would have hoped. But he still did it, you know, and that's why, you know, Well, you say he's out of touch and I can't completely agree with you there, I think, you know, between... In some ways, I'm not saying... <laughs> no, 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 yeah, yeah, and that's a discussion for another time, yeah. but, you know, man, you know, just when you think, and he still has the knack for doing this, you know, as a character and as a, as a juggernaut of a human, uh, just when you think he... He can't do it, he does it, so yeah. you know let's see you know now he now he's going to be the authority figure for a football league again, so let's see what happens there oh, <laughs> know, right? and just when you think, who knows, who knows
0: now I want to close this out with some of your favorite moments of authority figures involved in high stakes matches we've we've talked about some of the 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 memorable moments that made some of these guys characters some of the best and worst authority figures give me some of your favorite matches that involved the boss or bosses in wrestling history
1: at the time i was very jazzed up for wrestlemania 2000 and the mcmahon in every corner thing i know people shit on that today I thought that was really cool because there was a, a a power struggle in the company with the McMahon-Helmsley era and, you know, Linda and that steady hand that she was and the, and the young kid and Shane and obviously Vince, the, you know, the patriarch. I thought that that was a cool um, match and a cool moment to kind of have them all involved in the main event. Mm-hmm. And I was a fan of The Rock. I was looking forward to The Rock winning. And just when you think, and here he comes, Vince McMahon. And he, uh, secures victory for Triple H. That to me made that WrestleMania, to me, one of the best WrestleManias. It made it one of the worst WrestleManias because I was so, as a fan, I was so mad that Vince McMahon took that away from the fans because it was pretty much set up for The Rock.
0: Remember, I don't know if you remember this when we watched it. We, you know, I I had friends come over for the pay-per-view. We all sat down and watched it. And I was especially jazzed for this WrestleMania because it was WrestleMania 2000 and Mm -hmm. you're entering a new millennium and you just felt like this new energy and vibe with like these new, crop of characters and and wrestlers and this was like the first Wrestlemania that Steve Austin wasn't a part of in a number of years Mm -hmm. um, I'll never forget my buddy Buddha was there and when Vince came out with The Rock this is is his famous line he goes that motherfucker looks like he's walking down getting ready for his match not The Rock (laughs) like Vince walked down to the ring like he was going to be fighting for the title and not The Rock and then eventually the Mr. McMahon character really made it about himself and the McMahon family and doing what's right for the McMahon and family yep. and turning on The Rock. Mm-hmm. In hindsight, you know, looking back on it, as angry as I was with the finish of that match, and I wanted to see The Rock win and get the title. In 2018, to me, I'm rationalizing it as that kind of made sense. Yes. Yeah. Vince is yeah. trying to keep the family together, yep. and doing what's right, and you know, all right, I'll I'll compromise and make it work with my son-in-law, mm-hmm. even though you know he stole my daughter from me. You know what I mean? Like, yeah.
1: No, I would agree. I think I, I think my frustration was as a fan. Like yeah. they again, I believed I was in. I was I was I was I was hooked. Yeah, and this was it. The Rock was going to win because you know, as even though Mick Foley was a, a guy people liked in that match, you knew what was going to happen, and you kind of knew that the Rock was well. You know, it's WrestleMania. You know, there was no heels that ever walked out as champion until this one. You know what yeah. I mean? So it was well. The Rock's going to win then. Yeah. So then, and just when you think. Boom! They 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 flipped the script, and I thought it was as a fan. I was just like, "Gah! No!" Yeah. Um, but yeah, I would say, and again, orchestrated by Vince. So you know, definitely probably hit a shining moment of his as a as an authority figure. Another one that I would probably go back to. Let me think. Um, I'm gonna go. Yeah, you know I'll let you go. I don't. I, okay. I, I. Yeah. I got a few. Um,
0: I'll give you some time to think about some some of yours, but I got a few that come to mind. Uh, when it comes to Vince McMahon, um, I was not the biggest fan of the cage match with Austin. I'll say that. Um, the the bump off the top of the cage was cool, and the the debut of Big Show that was pretty cool. But um, I just wasn't a big fan of Austin and Vince in the cage. They told a a, a solid story, but for whatever reason, it just didn't do it for me. But uh, when it comes to Vince, some of my favorite moments uh, with him as an authority figure in matches—the um, match with Shane McMahon at WrestleMania 17, uh, with you know the the infamous uh, you know Mick, Mick Foley's a special guest yep. referee, the, the 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 coast to coast, uh-huh. you know with Shane into the trash can of Vince—that was cool. Um, uh, the, one of my personal favorites, all time, Vincent Hogan, Wrestlemania 19. Yeah, that that's a that shot when Vince peers over the ring apron, when he's got the blood all over his face with the pipe, and he's ready to do damage to Hulk, um, because I grew up on Hulkamania, and knowing the backstory behind these two's relationship, like... I, culminating at WrestleMania, like, to me, I felt like if Hogan was to retire after that, like, that would have been the perfect way to go, was to beat the guy that helped create you, and create this whole thing, you know what I mean? And that would have been the perfect way to send him off. He obviously came back for a couple more matches after that, but, um, I love that match. Uh, when it comes to, like, Bischoff, um... I dug the Starcade match with with uh Larry Zbysko. I did because too. the high stakes that were involved in it, and people will will say Oh, that was the worst um use of Bret Hart to debut in WCW. I wouldn't necessarily agree with that because Bret Hart was riding high off of the screw job and it made sense that the guy who was screwed by a referee is going to referee this high stakes match between Eric
1: Bischoff and Larry Zabisco. Yeah.
0: And I didn't have a problem with Bret making a debut Yeah, like,
1: like you that. knew that you like you knew in that sense that like while Earl Hebner was in the pocket of Vince McMahon yeah. that you knew that if Bret Hart was the official that he wasn't going to be in the pocket of Eric Bischoff. Yeah. You know, like at it, least that was kind of the, the, the message they were sending with that.
0: And like I hearkened to earlier, the, the perception as a fan was that Bischoff was so full of himself he thinks he could beat old man Larry Zabisco that it was almost kind of comical but yeah. it, it put some heat on him wanting you to see Zabisco yep. beat the shit out of him. And I love that element and that aspect of it. Scott Hall was kind of like his corner man, you yep. know, his, his fucking Mickey to his Rocky. Yeah, 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 yeah. You know what I mean? And he was just, you know, like amping. Them up and getting them all psyched up, and I I, I really dug that match. to... It's, it's nothing to write home about from a from a from a you know a, an in ring perspective, but it told a great story of, of psychology and what they were able to accomplish. Oh
1: yeah, no doubt. I think one. I don't know if I could dig too much further than this one, but I'll, I'll probably end with this one. And it's probably more of a technicality than it is you know because. But I'm gonna go with Roddy Piper versus Goldust at WrestleMania. Yes. technically. Okay. He was the president. Uh, at the end of the night, Monsoon returned for yep. the main event, uh, but he was the interim president while Monsoon nursed his injuries, you know. From Vader, from yeah. From Vader. But, um, I mean, just the uniqueness of that match and that in that uh, setting, you know, outside of the ring and that hardcore element that was so new to the WWF at the time, um, You, I was looking forward to it as a fan, and it didn't happen, and I'm not entirely disappointed but i was looking forward to like great now we've got roddy piper the wrestler back you yeah. know what i mean and he's you know gone is the kill or gone is the you know the authority you know the presidential role he's the hot rod um and i liked that one again just because of the unique presentation obviously of the match and it had a lot to do with roddy piper he played such a great hand in that match being one of the main draw cards for that event
0: i'll i'll dig deep with two more and then we'll close this out this week here on kicking out at to uh Stone Cold Steve Austin and Eric Bischoff at the 2003 No Way Out event when uh, Austin was um, Bischoff had to keep his job, and in order for him to keep his job, he had to sign Stone Cold Steve Austin, but the only way Stone Cold Steve Austin would sign is if he got a match with Eric Bischoff, and the the commentary from Jim Ross, who at the time was attacked by Bischoff a few weeks prior, right. was priceless um, as Austin was beating Bischoff, and Bischoff was another guy who knew how to take a beating when yeah. it came to his character getting his comeuppance, um, especially against Stone Cold Steve Austin. I thought that was fun, but one of my all-time favorites when it comes to an authority figure, a boss stepping in the ring against a wrestler, was Vince McMahon, Shawn Michaels, WrestleMania 22. Okay, the 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 ass whooping he took, and Jim Ross's commentary in that match was just superb. That's like one of that's one of my favorite matches to watch because of JR's calls yeah. of, you know, throughout that night. Hit him in the head you son of a bitch! And then, like, he lays him out with the picture but of all time, the greatest chair If we're going to name greatest of all time, the greatest chair shot in my opinion in the history of wrestling was when Michaels leveled Vince and you just heard this like deafening echo the acoustics in the All-Star yeah. Arena in Chicago like, it just worked. Oh my goodness it was amazing. Um, and just the beating in general, like, like I said like, nobody, when it comes to an authority figure getting his comeuppance, took an ass whooping better than Vince McMahon. Bischoff came close, and, and, but Vince took the best ass whooping.
1: But I will, okay, so as time. you say that, I, I think I do have to insert one, and I think okay. it actually brings everything full circle. Okay. Is You know, probably a personal favorite of mine, as far as authority figure matches go, is when Bret Hart beat Vince McMahon at WrestleMania. Kind of bringing the Vince McMahon character to a, a somewhat... It closed a, a very serious chapter to Vince McMahon. The match wasn't anything impressive. As a fan, I was just excited to see Bret Hart, you know, down the pink and black and get in the ring one more time. I knew I wasn't getting the excellence of execution. I was getting Bret Hart the man. Yeah. You know, getting his revenge for 13 years of, of, of pain and anguish. And what happened in those 13 years? The birth, rise, fall, and re- rebirth of Vince McMahon, the character, um, all kind of happened there, so this was probably the perfect time and the perfect person to end that character. And while he's technically not ended as a character, Mr. McMahon, like I've said, he can always come back and, you know...
0: He was more full-time at that time. When yeah, his, yeah.
1: This, this marked a very definitive end to the dominance of the Vince McMahon character, the Mr. McMahon character on television. And what better person to, 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 to signify that end than, than Brett the Hitman Hart? I mean, given what happened all those years ago.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I couldn't agree with you more. I think we uh, I think we covered it. Coast to coast, border to border, we crossed the T's and dot, dotted the I's when it came to the best and the worst authority figures in professional wrestling history. Once again, I'd like to thank you for coming on board and helping me steer the ship. Uh, this was a lot of fun, and uh, I look forward, obviously, to many more in-depth, retro professional wrestling conversations with you in the, in the very near future, like Survivor Series Trading Places next week. Here on Kicking Out at 2. We're going to alter the format a little bit, and we're going to, instead of covering a whole event, we're going to take matches from Survivor Series history and take our Trading Places concept, and we're going to bring all those what-if scenarios to the table. Uh, We kind of, uh, you know, talked about this off-air and the the prospects of it, but uh, give our listeners a little bit of a
1: preview as to what we could expect next week when it comes to Trading Places Survivor Series. Uh, you know, again, we're just gonna take. You know, it's it's one of the big four pay per view events. You know, in WWE history, and it, and with that comes very historic matchups. You know, you talk about you know the Deadly Games tournament and all the the matches that and, and moments that took place there in 1998 that crowned the corporate champion, The Rock. You know, what could have gone? Uh, you know what what could have happened? You know, if The Rock uh, was not the champion, or or you know maybe mankind. Is the WWF champion in that sense? You know, obviously there's there's the Montreal Screwjob, and that could be its own episode of what you know what could have happened if, if Bret Hart left Montreal as the WWF champion, and then uh, you know if we want to even go back further, there's the the, the debut and birth of the Undertaker. Um, you know, how could have that gone differently? Um, way back in 1990 in Hartford, Connecticut. So there is a tons there are tons of uh, historical moments. That took place, you know, in WWE history, that took place, at Survivor Series, that, um, you know, what if, and that's, I think, going to be the most fun part about this one is we're going to have a little bit of a wider range to to really crack open uh, what could have been. Very cool stuff. Stay tuned for that next week over at SoundCloud.com
0: Trading Places Survivor Series. All right, before we get going, make sure you hit us up on social media for all the interactive discussions, facebook.com forward slash kickingout2. Hit the like button if you have not already and be a part of all the interactive discussions and debates that we have over there on Facebook and, of course, on Twitter. Our handle is at kickingout2, K-I-C-K-N-O-U-T, and the number two. It's about time we go home, as they say in the business, more false finishes there's no feet under the bottom rope there's no foot on the top rope or should i say the bottom rope that is there's no run-ins it's about time we put this show down for the three count we will see you all next week